Welcome to the Bass and Brews podcast, your weekly distraction from other high-quality podcasts. And now, your host, Alex from Swamp Rat Fishing, and the co-hostess with the mostest, the Jabberhammer, Paul Roberts. hey Welcome back to... Another Bass and Brews podcast. Alex is yet not here again. I'm, I'm on my own tonight with uh, a good friend of the show, Joe, who we'll, we'll, we'll get him to talk here in a second. I got to finish my diatribe into the debauchery that ain't going to happen tonight because we're professionals. Um, and Alex isn't here to keep us in line. So this could be an hour and a half long is the goal, or it could be five hours. I don't know. We're going to see. But we are your weekly distraction from quality podcast content, and we're here to disappoint and make you feel inferior to all the other podcasts that you listen to. I don't know why you feel inferior, but we are. Joe, man, what's going on, buddy? What's up? uh, Life is good, dude. How about you? (laughs) Man, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I hadn't had a lot of chances to fish here recently. Mostly it's been tournaments. I've had some good tournaments. Uh, we had our North Carolina State BASS uh, championship a couple weeks ago, week and a half ago now, and I was excited to potentially qualify for for the Kite Bass Classic uh, in the uh, kayak side. Hence, the Kite Bass Classic. I didn't. I caught some good fish, but I just couldn't finish out that limit. Uh, new lake I'd never been to, and just uh, it, was, it was tough fishing overall. But besides that, man, it's been good. Been busy as hell. How you been? Good, good. What's the water temp at home? Man, it has plummeted over the last two weeks here. Two weeks ago, we were looking at 86, 88, and today I went out on the water for a couple hours, and we were 78, I think we were. Oh, um, wow. That's plummeted yeah. for you, huh? Whoa. <laughs> but, well, I mean, Bo, that's 10 degrees of water temp change. That's a lot in a couple weeks, week and a half. Um, hell, last Thursday... A week ago tomorrow, it was 95 fucking degrees here. Yeah. 95 yeah. degrees. And then we finally, fall, fall fall finally stuck its foot in the door and kicked summer out. And so now temps have dropped. We're waiting on anywhere between one and eight inches of rain with Hurricane Ian coming up and Ian, whatever the hell it is, coming up here. I think yeah. we're going to get, uh, we're going to get some eastern bands, which a lot of wind, potentially some bad storms and a lot of water. But yeah, man, we're uh, we're we're sitting pretty. We're the fish are the fish are finally getting into that fall pattern. How about you? What yeah. y'all at up there? So let's see. I haven't been on the water since Tuesday, so like eight days. <laughs> but we had we had seen temps drop from the mid to high eighties into the like we're dipping into the sixties now. Mm. So yeah, I mean, because we're getting forty six degree nights now. Out of yeah, nowhere. Like we we had air temps in the 80s, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I saw even 93 two weeks ago for a day. And then all of a sudden, just like that, evenings in the you know, 53, 46, like and and it hasn't stopped. Like it is cold every single night now. Um, so we uh I think it it threw the fish off for like a week. I think that Toyota series they had on the St. Lawrence last week was actually a 
probably an extremely tough event for those guys because usually the river is very stable in terms of water temps and those fish, they don't transition very quickly, but I think those fish even got really confused because when I looked Mm. at the weights of that Toyota series, the bulk of the weight, like in that, you know, finishing like 25 to a hundredth place was not what I would have expected it to be. It was definitely down. And, um, you know, I think a lot of that was just due to those fish getting confused at first. I think the fish assumed it was going to be a false fall. And then they were (laughs) like, Oh, maybe mother nature isn't freaking screwing around. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been weird. And, um, you know, it's definitely, I think the rains that we got like the last two days mm-hmm. have, uh, have really probably solidified, um, that it's fall up there. Cause you get a little bit of like runoff and all of a sudden mm-hmm. the, when you get those temp drops, if you get the temp drops first and then some runoff after salmon and steelhead start flying up the rivers and, uh, and the brown trout and, uh, and I think the, the, the smallmouth kind of know to like go shallow and start doing their thing. So um, it is a rig season now, buddy. I'm just hoping for a little win the next four days while I'm up there. <laughs> and so that's, it's funny you say that too, with the fish are a little confused. Cause I believe they were here too. A couple weeks ago, the bite was on fire morning to evening. I mean, it was a pretty good bite. And then here this past week, we were getting temperatures into the 60s and the high 50s at night. And so that water temperature dropped real good. Um, and and here recently, the bite has been much better in the evening. So once that sun's been up and the water's warmed up a little bit, they've, they've gotten there. But also, it's not just water temperature. We also have the days getting shorter and the fish know that. And so those yeah. fish are going to start to transition and the fish are actually shallower than they have been. They're still schooled up real good down here. They're shallower. They're starting to get work a little more towards the mouth of the creeks here. Uh, the bait's still all over the place, but that's, that's kind of local to where we are. And we'll get to that here in a little bit. Fall fishing is kind of going to be the biggest topic of this, but Joe has had a lot of shit going on the last few months. I've talked to him. Yeah, I talked to Joe a good bit. We text a lot, and I've been wanting to get him on. And he says, man, I got to get through, you know, two months ago, it was I got to get through August, September. Uh, You know, this time, October, I said, hey, man, that's not a problem. I just want to make sure I get you on because, you know, love talking to you. People love hearing you talk, and we always learn something. And that's something that we don't get a lot at on Bass and Brews. You actually fucking learn something when Joe comes on. I mean, (laughs) geez, here we are. But, I'm not yeah, gonna lie too. Right. Like I, I get messages from the Bass and Brews uh, followers too. Like <laughs> I remember after I was on the first time, I got a couple messages, and when I was on the second time, I got a couple more from new people, and mm-hmm. and I still from time to time get messages from from people, and I'll go and I'll be like, I wonder how how you even started following me. So I'll start looking and following like them on social media to see. And I'm like, it's, it seems to be a very, a more often than not thing that uh, we all have bass and brews, serious angler in common. Like we all, we're all, we're all fans of all of those pages. So I'm like, yep, it's, uh, it's Paul and Alex's people or it's Bailey and Andy's people. And, and yeah, I'm pretty lucky to have such good friends and all of you guys. And 
and uh, get get exposed to all of the the fans of yours through all your hard work. So thanks for having me. Hey, uh, yeah, for sure. And we actually have a majority of our listeners can actually fish. So it's it's neat that they still tune in to the shit the shit that we we talk about on here. And when we got people on here, but this is this is a little weird for you and I because the last two have been live, and here yeah. we're we're recording this one. But <laughs> Joe Joe's got somewhere to go tomorrow. I, I've been balls to the wall with work, kids, all this shit. We couldn't make live work, but we're here now. But on that, Joe, tell us tell us you you fished the Northern Opens. How did they go for you? So, um, you know, I thought I did pretty well, like, uh, to be honest, like, I think I finished like 90 something in the first, which I only had 14 hours of practice. So that was, I thought it was pretty badass. Like I don't do great at title fisheries mm-hmm. and I didn't place fishing that tournament super high on my priority list. Like I had to work an expo up in Boston the weekend before I spent and what term are you talking money. about? Which this location? was the, fir- the first Northern open is the James. So okay. I like, I was in Boston and I didn't even have batteries in my boat when I left. Cause it was 30 degrees <laughs> out when I left the house. So like when I drove to Boston, there was snow on the ground still the first oh week. Of April. So like, I mean, like my lithium batteries don't do 30 less than 32 degrees. So like at night with the wind blowing, it's in the twenties. And I was like, Oh, I guess I'm gonna have to pack all my gear in the boat on Monday when I get home. And then I drove through the night Monday night to show up, sleep for three hours and then go fish all day. And then we got a half day on Wednesday. So like long story short, like I just put myself on a pattern where I knew I could catch a lot of fish and I was just kind of hoping the big girls were coming. And like I was catching 30 to 50 fish a day, both of those days, I just didn't get big bites. And I did so much better than last year, but the whole field did a little better too. And, uh, you know, like I was happy with that finish. Um, then we went to Oneida in July and I absolutely thought I was going to freaking win that event. And we, even talked, had, we, we texted during that and I, cause I asked you how you felt. He's like, man, this might be the best, the best feeling I have for a uh-huh. tournament I've ever fished. Yeah. And like, and I, I had the fish on to be leading by a tremendous amount in day one. Like I probably should have had a two and a half pound lead after day one. And I only came in with four fish. Like I lost, I caught, or I hooked the fish that I needed to on day one. And I was like, I've never, I've never lost fish like that. Not at Oneida. And like with the pressure and stuff, the bite got a little tough, but like, it's my home fishery. So I was really, really dialed and I, I, and I knew how to cope with those changing conditions. And I freaking dude, I broke two off. I broke a hook on one of them on a, on a bait that I make, like I make Ned rigs and I had a Gamagatsu fail on me. And I, I preach the hell out of that hook. Like I've gotten in fights with buddies, like, like, <laughs> Like, like fights, like owner versus Gami, like fights. And I go and I freaking broke a hook and I was like, no, oh, I feel, I feel like such a jerk. And if my buddy Tony is ever hears this, he's going to be like, I freaking told you. Like, I mean, no lie. We like fought over it. Like, 
like fought over it one day mm-hmm. and like i still use them but i threw that entire batch out because i was like i got a tear i made a terrible batch like i either overheated them or they gave us some crap materials because of covid but anyway I, I so i broke two off i broke a hook and i lost one and ended up only weighing in four fish and two of them were rats and uh, the next day I, I just played it safe and i tried to do what i needed to do to oh excuse me to get you know, kind of like save some face. And, uh, I mean, I went and caught like 16 and a half, 17 pounds the second day and, you know, moved up like 60 places, but I still only finished in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it was that, uh, so I finished 90 something in the first and was stoked finished in the sixties in the second and was devastated. <laughs> and then, uh, then in the third, I, uh, I actually, which was the Chesapeake Bay, um, I, I only got like two days of practice down there too. I, I chose business over, um, you know, over another tournament. I actually, the owner of Alpha Angler, which is my, one of my employers and uh, uh, their family, the owner wanted to use my boat to fish the National Professional Fishing League event on Sandusky the week before. And I was like, and asked me to film it and got me a press pass to be in the boat with them all the days of practice and all the days of the tournament. And I cared more about helping Jake out, filming him, giving him the tools that he needed to be prepared. And like, I, I drove through the night to get home, uh, took all the smallmouth gear for the Great Lakes out of my boat and put all the dirty water tidal fishing gear in and drove through the, I got up at like two in the morning, the next morning, drove through the night or through the darkness to get down to the bay. And, you know, I was just like burned out from being on the road for 11 days <laughs> to Jake. Like, and in, I, in I a boat for, and in a boat watching somebody else fish for five days. Oh yeah. And it was like freaking killing me, dude. Cause like I live <laughs> on the great lakes and I'm watching this dude from the Pacific Northwest, like, and I love Boomer to death, but I'm like, I'm like too high strung to be sitting there. And I'm like, I got my hand over my mouth, like, cause I can't say anything. And I'm like, oh, it was, it was so good because I've never been a co-angler, but it was mm. like one of the biggest struggles of my life at the same time, because there's, there's just some things that I've learned over years of fishing the Great Lakes. Like Ontario is only an hour farther away than Oneida. So I can get to Ontario in three hours towing the boat and I go all the time. And so like, I'm just like dying, bro. Like dying, dying. Cause I want to, I want to say something. And and like there are things I would have told him if we would have got to go fishing a few days before, because he got to my house a few days before we had to leave, but it poured for three yeah. days straight. So yeah. like we didn't get to go fishing and I was going to take him on Ontario and show him a few of the things that are like really great, like smally specific that we do when we're fishing deep. And I didn't get to help him. And like, so I had been like holding that stuff in for a couple days already. And then I was like, it was like placed right in front of me that like, shoot, we should have talked about this stuff before like information time closed. And like, it it just, it was very hard, but at the same time too, like, since I've never been a co, it was an epic experience. And I take that over doing well at the Chesapeake any day. Like I, 
I, the things I learned from hanging mm-hmm. out with him and his travel partner and like Sukup was in the cabin next to us. And John, John, you know, at the time was leading the opens, the overall, and he's an alpha angler. And, uh, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that experience back. Like I, I wish in hindsight that I would have got to focus better on the tournaments that I fished this year. But honestly, like I, I won't even for a millisecond look back on those tournaments and go, Oh, I, I, I wish things would have gone differently because they were so minuscule in terms of what they will do for my future moving forward. Cause, uh, well, shit, I'm basically unemployed. Like, like my job, my lifestyle revolves around creating content now. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm a social media manager for a couple of brands in the industry, um, but, and a content creator for them as well. But, um, you know, so that the business side of fishing right now is way more important than my overall finishes. So I'll never look back at 2022 and go, I wish I would have fished better. Like <laughs> that, that shit, that shit meant nothing. It, it really didn't. I mean, I, I want a long career in fishing and yeah. uh, the way that I do business, my finishes right now don't, don't matter nearly as much as who I am as a person and what I can, what value I can provide to the, to my brand partners. And, I don't know, like doing stuff like this where I just get to be me is is what I've always wanted to do anyway. So, you know, this kind of stuff to me is is why why finishes don't matter. Like I want to teach fishing. I want to promote the sport. Mm -hmm. I want to be an ambassador of conservation and and proper fish care and and just of getting youth outdoors and teaching them a better way of life, you know. Well, and you so this this will lead us into uh, something else I want to talk to you about. You said the business kind of took over that that Chesapeake Bay side, and you had to make some decisions. First of all, getting to to hang out with with the guys that you did uh, in, in the NPFL, yeah, like that that's an experience in all of itself, and a learning experience as somebody like you that is very good at at relaying information and teaching information. You know, I'm sure you were able to suck up a lot there, and that's good. Soak up a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> what well, was that? A pun, John? Soak up, soak up information. Anyway, one of those, one one of those English uh, terms that I can't remember. But the business <laughs> side, you you have launched, and I think what are we four or five videos in there now? The Outer Realm, yeah, sure. your YouTube channel. That yeah. you've done. We mentioned on the podcast a couple of times. I'm pretty sure we had you on. I can't remember. It's been just shit so damn crazy. But we have mentioned it. And when it hit, you if people are not looking at the outer realm, the the production in that is unbelievable. It is so it's Thanks, just man. it draws you in. And Thank that's you. that's the business side that you know, I want to talk to you about because you're full-time fishing now, you know, yeah. content creation and fishing. How y'all go look at the outer realm. Really? It's really good content. It's, it's produced phenomenally. Joe, what, what is the, like, what, how, how have you got that started that YouTube channel and you didn't, 
you didn't start with some shitty ass videos like a lot of other people start with when they first get into it. Now I know you've been in the social media realm a lot, the content creation, the brand awareness, the marketing whole of it. But man, how did you just lay right into it to produce what you're producing? Well, okay. So first and foremost, I didn't start fishing tournaments at it until 2016 i fished my first like wednesday nighters right my 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 like wednesday night league and uh that's how i heard about the bfls so in the winter of 16 and then ended up being january of 17 i bought my first fiberglass boat and i fished four of the bfls in the region in 2017 and uh I placed in the top 10 in my first two. I think I got like in the top 20 in the third and um, really got the bug and kind of like got into the industry. Um, I got hooked up with Alpha Angler in the summer of 2017, um, designing rods and and working with them. But uh, I was told, like I was always told from, from 2017 when I really started getting into the industry, you should have started YouTube yesterday. And <laughs> I, I like, I am such an all or nothing person that like, I mean, I resisted even getting Instagram till like 2017 or 18, probably 2018. Well, and, now you uh, need to transition to TikTok. I got it. I got yeah. I follow the That's heck out of you guys. Come on, Jabberhammer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but so, yeah, I've like started that in the last like couple of months. Like, I mean, I started it a while ago, but I finally started posting mm-hmm. my own stuff like, I don't know, month, month and a half ago. But anyway, I I didn't want to start something that I wasn't producing the quality of stuff that I like. And uh, when I was working for Big Bass Dreams, which was a short relationship they really stressed quantity and that didn't work for me. Like, so it was one of the reasons that we kind of like parted ways is I, I believe that everything I produce, I, I want to be of quality. I'm not trying to put tons of crap out there for people and let them pick and choose what they want. Like I want to be able to drive my business in the direction that I want. I'm a little bit of a like control freak and I'm a a little bit of a perfectionist and I'm a huge, like I'm hugely OCD. Hold on. on. A little bit of a perfectionist. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And a little bit OCD. Yeah. (laughs) We've already covered this on the previous podcast about your OCD isms, but a little bit is, is, is like, come on now. You are way a bit. I know. And so like to me, to me, I, I spent tons of time planning this channel and what I wanted to do and what I wanted the look to be. And like, I used to write storyboards long Mm. before I ever even shot the footage for all of this stuff. And, uh, it's funny, like, and, and I haven't produced any of those videos that I've already written, but like, I wanted, I wanted a certain look and I wasn't willing to put out videos shot on a chesty or shot on the console of my boat and me talking to a GoPro because that's just not what I wanted. And the whole point of me in my thirties pursuing this goal 
being a sole proprietor, um, running my own business, like doing these things, quitting my job back in May is I want to do shit the way that I want to fucking do it. And Mm -hmm. I don't, and I want my partners, the brands that I work with to like to work with me and want to work with me because their ideals mesh with my ideals. And, and, you know, I'm not meant to be with every brand and, and every brand is not meant for every angler. And I want to do my own fucking thing and, and, you know, within reason and like, and I know there are a lot of brands out there who are looking for quantity and I'm only looking to make really fucking fire content. And well, like, you do. I, you're kind of, it's very documentary. I'm going to interrupt you and I ain't going to apologize because my fucking show, <laughs> but it's, it's like that initial two or three, four minutes. I can't remember the first video you put out and the ones you put out mm-hmm. after that, it has a documentary feel to it. And the things with documentaries that people who watch them is you mentioned it earlier, it's the storyboards, right? It's the story in general is you can, <clears throat> you feel like you're part of that, of the journey that you're taking right there. That fishing trip that, that we're watching documentaries make you feel a, a part of that, but they're also educational. So it's the education, the entertainment side of it. And your, your videos really do encapsulate that. Now you also said the difference between creating really good content versus, you know, quality versus quantity. <clears throat> There's a place for, for both. 100%. And you just have to find your niche and what you want to do. I mean, if you want to create, and this, this podcast, again, I say it every episode almost, this podcast is built off of content creators. We just happen to want to talk to content creators in the fishing realm. So we have a lot of people that listen to the show that are, or creating content or want to create content. And so that's the thing about creating content is you have to create the shit that you want to create. And mm-hmm. then you have to find your niche. You have to find your group of people that want to watch the shit that you want to make. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest yeah. part because that takes time in, in creating your, your, your little group, your niche of folks that want to watch your stuff. That takes time to dial that in. So for you to say that you spent tons of time beforehand to get to where you are now to create that content, you know, a lot of people start YouTube yesterday and a lot of people yeah. do that. They put out shitty videos. You hear it more often than not. Or people like, say, my I, first I, video sucked, but yeah. they figured out what their viewers, what the people who were, who subscribed and came back and hit that ring bell, they figured out what they wanted. And they came to that. And so, you know, you figured that out without putting out the content before. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I have a feeling what I'm about to say is going to become another one of uh, one of the ongoing (laughs) reels that you play a lot. I'm going to say it anyway. Like it will never be as good as the bass and boobs. I, well, this one's pretty good. Uh, Like Mark Zona is my spirit animal. And uh, I, I, I love what, Zona's awesome fishing show has grown into. And, you know, he is the Italian stallion and I very much look up to that man. And I just like, 
this is going to sound so odd. So he like narrates my life when I'm on the front deck of the boat, when I'm by myself, like I can hear him narrating what I'm doing in my head. Right. I'm, I should be medicated. Oh my God. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but like I've always wanted to put my, my own voice into a very similar style of creating content and like i have i'm a teacher by trade like so i rather than like like striking and lose are huge supporters of mark and the show and and like and he's a huge supporter of them like he creates a ton for them baits and gear and rods and and i someday strive to to be very similar, but I don't want to be Mark Zona. I just want to be Joe LaBarbera. Like Mark has already done what Mark is doing. Now I want to be something similar. Like I, I love his show. I'm a huge fan of it. It's one of the few subscriptions that I pay for. I mean, I have free Hulu and the cheapest Hulu you can have or whatever. I have free Netflix or whatever the cheapest version is. Like I'm, I'm up like, like Clint, who edits a lot of my stuff, like he yells at me because like I won't even pay a subscription to freaking YouTube to get no commercials, but I'll pay for my outdoor TV. And that is one of the <laughs> few things. Like I don't have cable, but I got my outdoor TV on my television. Like so that I, I mean, dude, that's what I watch. Like I'm a huge fan of the sport and like I'm never going to make, I'm probably never going to make tournament videos like Brandon or uh, mm. like Saldizi. I'm not trying to do what a lot of people are already doing, but like if I had a spirit animal, it would be Mark Zona because he he's been the the type of content he creates. I hope my stuff is very similar and just has a very Joe feel to it. Um, I, that's that's what I want, and that's why I didn't start yesterday. That's why I started today. You know. So you're you're a northern angler where you're about to get into the time period where you can't create on the water content. Hmm, kind of. Well, I mean, you can, you can go ice fishing and I'm sure you do have some wow. open water and shit, but in general, yeah. your content creation in the North subsides. That's why the predominantly, or that is why most of your bass fishing podcast, I would say 70% or more are Northern people. Cause they got fucking loads of time in the off season where they can't fish and they just want to talk fishing with somebody. So they start a podcast and talk, start talking to people. Yeah. What is, what does your channel look like coming up uh, into the, let's call it the end of fishing season, uh, the end of 2022 going into 23 when the winter sets in, what is your content um, going to look like? And I'm going to throw this out there because Bring your ass down to North Carolina. I keep inviting your ass down uh, here to North Carolina to come uh, fish and you create some condemn. No, no, let me finish and then you can speak your piece. I'm in charge here. I can throw you out of this bit. No, you can't throw me out. I mean, I'd be sitting here looking. I wouldn't look like an idiot by myself because I talk ears off Billy Goat. But anyway, bring your ass down here. We create some content down here. We got Matt Connolly right down the road, man. We can do it. But anyway, what does your channel look like going into the, the off season for fishing where you are? Well, I mean, like, so Clint Bartlett, 
runs Bartlett out outdoors. It's C Bartlett bow on Instagram. And, uh, he runs the below average angler podcast on YouTube. And Clint does a lot of the filming for me. I, I can film a lot of it on my own. He's Clint and I have a really great working relationship and, um, Clint does a lot of the filming for cast in the United States as well, which is a partner of mine. Um, but, uh, Clint and I have stockpiled a crap load of content and, and really it's just, we put a lot of time and effort into uh, writing the storyboards and editing. And, um, you know, like he's become my best friend. Like we FaceTime constantly, like him and his girlfriend will be cooking dinner in Texas while I'm cooking dinner in my kitchen here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> and, you know, like we're talking business, talking family, like we live our lives pretty together most of the time. And Clint was just here two weeks ago or less. And Clint will be back in two more weeks. We're going to film in thousand islands for four days. And then we'll be in North Carolina for a few days after that. And then we go to Georgia to Lanier for a few days. And then we come back to Burton in North Carolina for a few more days. Hold up, fuck Georgia. Where are you gonna be in North Carolina? And you ain't you ain't called to ask for no intel. I, I'm I'm a little I'm a little disgruntled. I'm a disgruntled well, podcaster well, right now. So you're, you're you're don't be disgruntled. Don't don't like you know, don't don't get all fiery. But um, so the the fifteenth of October, Clint gets here. We're gonna film in the Thousand Islands for three or four days. Then we're gonna drive. Uh, it's like Wednesday the 19th, I think. We drive down to fish either Burton or something else to film some stuff for cast. cast In North Carolina? Yeah, it's right on the border of North Carolina and Georgia. Because um, uh, Clint, okay. Clint's so from you, North you Carolina. Oh. So Clint's originally from there. Um he he lives in Texas because that's where uh, Randallin is finishing up uh, med school or nursing school or you'd think I'd know my best friends one of my best friends girlfriends a little better but I, I try but I'm just have too much ADHD to be a hundred percent certain of that's what right. if it ain't, if it ain't bass it better be boobies it better we, be boobies right we so know you know and she's she, yeah so and with her it's not bass or boobies she's just a buddy <laughs> so like you know I, I lose track of some of the details but uh, <laughs> terrible friend I apologize to all of my friends I apologize I'm so bad but uh um, so Clint's from there and, and really like cast as a U.S. brand, um, really started out on Lanier. So mm. Thursday and Friday of that, like, I believe it's like 20 and 21, I think it's Burton or somewhere else. They wanted to film some big bait stuff. Cause we, um, are, are working on some soft plastic big baits, like six and eight inch soft baits. And uh, we're going to do a little filming with the prototypes there. Then we're going to go down to Lanier Saturday and Sunday. And then Clint and I are going to come back to North Carolina and stay at his cousin's house um, kind of indefinitely, probably like three, four days or something. Um, hit one of his best friends 
Um, Ian works for Black Rifle Coffee and couldn't come down to be with us in the cast crew. So we're going to be in North Carolina with Ian um, and just try to like get as much stuff on film and kind of smash around on on some big mountain fish um, for a few days before I, you know, run out of money or energy or time and got to come home. So at, at that I am- point, Hold on, time out. Here I am in fall fishing on Jordan and Sharon Harris, crankbait heaven, crankbait heaven, yeah. and you ain't yeah. even gonna come damn see me. I'll tell you what. No, man, I didn't I say you. that. I I, I got my, booby, I, I got I, boobies and I fish. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm I mean. So <laughs> I no, know. like that. That's the plan. Is like when I'm in North Carolina, I sh- I have time to. I have the freedom and time to spend it however I please. So I can hang out with Connolly and the jabber hammer. Like we can, we got Look, plenty of time to do whatever I want to do because when I come back, it's going to be effing freezing out. So like there, is no, reason, back back. there is no reason to rush my ass back here, buddy. Like we, hey, I, uh, well, that is, it'll be is the last the time I'm in the boat for the year is when I leave yeah. hanging okay. out with you guys, it'll wow. be, It'll be like that will be the last time the boat sees water until Jan until February when I head to where's the first open of the year? I forget. I, Wherever I do not even remember. Somewhere I don't in Florida, remember. probably. I don't think it was. I <laughs> want to say it, I think it was actually like Texas or Eufaula, maybe. It might have been Eufaula. So I was like I mean, I won't be in the boat until February and I'll go down. If they do, I heard, I didn't even pay attention that well. I heard the opens next year, there's going to be a closed practice on them. So I'll go fish a neighboring lake for like two, three mm-hmm. weeks. But until like Valentine's Day, I I freaking, I'll be doing nothing but steelhead fishing. So that's what I was about to say. When you get up there and you put the boat up though, that's when you start posting your content and catching big ass steelhead. Yeah. on the rivers and doing some guiding. Are you going to do some guiding up there this year? No, I don't. That's my, that's my freaking sanctuary, man. I ain't taking I anybody you, but I, friends to go do that shit. Okay. I thought you did some guiding. All right. Well, on that, uh, let's get no, back to no, the No, no, I, I don't like, okay. I mean, I go with Andy, Andy guides. Yeah. But, okay. uh, that's no, that's my, that's my serenity now, man. I'm like Costanza's father <laughs> when it's not bass season. There you go. So on the opens next year, um, before we started, you mentioned you were going to fish all nine. Mm-hmm. So your plan is to fish all nine opens next year. And mm-hmm. if anybody hadn't heard, the only way you can qualify for bass next year is to fish all nine and finish in whatever finishes. So is that your goal with fishing the all nine opens? Is it just, is it to win some money? Is it get some experience? You already said you're really not going to create content from your tournament fishing. Or is your goal to be on the elites? Well, I mean, the end game goal is to be on the elites. But like I, Bailey asked me this on the first podcast I was ever on with him like two years ago. And and Pat asked me the same thing when I did stuff on Straycasts. And, and my answer hasn't changed and it never will. Like I would never accept an elite series berth if the business wasn't ready. And bass mm-hmm. fishing... I mean, it's one of the few professional sports where we pay to play. And uh, if somebody else ain't paying for me to play, uh, I ain't going to play. So if I haven't created a self-sustaining business with partners that will support 
that aspect of my life, I'll keep fishing the opens and creating content um, until I have partners that are are ready to make that jump with me because I'm not going to take that leap by myself. Um, you know, I, I, I use the opens as an opportunity to get better as an angler. I use the opportunity to travel, um, to create content in a, you know, larger, uh, geographic area. And, you know, I, I just want to see how far I can build this business, but I want my the business of fishing for a living to keep up with my level of tournament angling. And if, if at any time those two things don't line up, I will make sure the other one drops down and stays with the, the, it, like if the business is behind myself as a tournament angler, then I stay where the business is at until the business is ready to grow to the level of competitiveness that I've achieved. So there, those two things are one and the same. I never want to have to cash a check to pay my mortgage, or I never want to have to cash a check to eat a meal or step. Like I want to be a successful or get tournament home. angler. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like this is a whole different I, topic, but you say I never want to have to call my 67 year old mother and be like, mommy, I can't, I'm, <laughs> I know I'm in my thirties, but I can't afford to get home. Like <laughs> I, I just, that's not for me. Like, so when I, when I took this leap to do all of this, you know, it is all with the notion that like, you know, I, I don't have a trust fund and I I've had a ton of support along the way from small businesses and family in small ways, but I've gotten no giant lump sum and I haven't won a hundred grand yet so like if the business ain't ready and the numbers and the finances aren't there dude i don't fish the elites like the the uh it, it to me they're one and the same i'm not that 25 year old kid who's you know two or three years out of college who's like dude i'll, I'll sell everything i own and i'll i'll fish with 12 combos to fish like hell no that's not what i'm doing <laughs> i don't sleep on couches i don't eat dollar menu and I, I don't, that's not how I live. Like I can't do it. I'm 36 yeah. going on 37. Like I don't sleep on the floor. I don't sleep in my truck. Like I can't fish good like that. I'm getting too Hell beat no, you up. Can't move, you can't move the next morning sleeping on that shit at that age. And I'll tell you, yeah, Coop, Coop can there. do it. Like Coop Gallant does it at age, what, 24, 25. Like I don't, I can't dude. I, I can't hang out around the campfire. I can't edit in a tent. And I can't freaking wake up on the ground and rally. Like, I just can't do it. Um, you know, I could when I was 24. I could when That's I was 27. Right. Right. I can't yeah. when I was 10 years, 10 years will age the fuck out of you. 27 Dude, to 37. Back out at, I threw my back out at age 35. Like, I ain't sleeping yeah. on the floor. Like <laughs> Look, 27 to 37, the, the physical limitations that arise in those 10 years is unfathomable. The other thing that you said, and I've talked to some other folks about this, and I, I've wanted to try to get a podcast together, but I'm not in the industry, right? I'm seeing it from a outside view. But you said this is fishing is one of those professional sports. I would say it's the only professional sport that I know of and or follow or have been associated with as as a viewer, or, you know, have, have some knowledge about. 
it is the only pro sport where you have to give the entity that you fish for, that you compete for, money to to compete, to potentially not to, to potentially win win money to get a paycheck mm-hmm. like every other sport, every major sport in America. That those folks are getting a paycheck at the end of that fucking game, regardless of how well or how bad they do. I don't want to dive into this too quick, but fishing, if it like if they want it to be NASCAR, golf, and for some reason those are the two they they kind of want to compare it to, they they got to start paying the motherfuckers that are fishing like a professional athlete and quit treating them like you know, a professional gambler, because that's kind of what they are at this point. Well, so here's, here's my take on it. And like, I did not come up with this on my own. Like, so like, let me preface it with a lot of this has come from Bradley Hallman. And I got, I got to spend the Chesapeake Bay tournament with Sukup Hallman, Pangarak and Upshaw and, and Hallman makes a tremendous point. And I'm sure he's probably made this point on a YouTube video he's made before. And There just won't be the money in professional angling until we are able to come up with a format that is what I'm holding up the number one. There has to be one main. There ain't two NASCARs. There ain't three NASCARs. There ain't two. Okay. So I, I, to be honest, that's not where I'm going with this. Um, I I, I do agree to I agree to a point, but I think the biggest thing that is holding our sport back and keeping it a pay to play thing is the format of our sport. I mean, dude, when I, if I'm boat a hundred in a 225 boat open, um, I have to be to the ramp around 545 for a 630 launch. And usually I weigh in for, if I'm boat a hundred, my weigh in time is around like four o'clock, four thirty, And then I'm, I'm done for the day at like five or five thirty when the boat's on the trailer, that's a 12 hour day. And you can't televise that, right? <laughs> like people are watching golf for like what three hours max yeah. and that is stretching it the indianapolis 500 three three and a half hours max mm. from pre-race to end of race like the super bowl three three and a half hours pre-game to post-game like we're four times that three or four times that so like we're never gonna have big marketing dollars because we don't mm. we're not in a format where people can watch <laughs> start to finish right so because until, fishing but, is fishing is fucking boring i well, love yeah. fishing and i even i when i can sit down and watch and, and and i am never in a lifetime gonna sit down and turn the tv on on a saturday and watch a full saturday of fishing ever mm-hmm. But every fucking Sunday, this TV is on. And from one o'clock to like seven o'clock, I'm watching football the whole six hours. But it's yeah. the entertainment side of it. Like the the lull in, in the entertainment side of it is so much less in these other sports. I mean, fishing, so, fishing is just in general is very boring for the for the common spectator, for the person that's not going to go out there and fish. Like it's, it's very boring. Like, I mean, there's ways you can make it better, but there are. And so like, 
you know, the point Hallman made and I've spent a month thinking about and, and if for some reason I can't get out of my head, um, the point he made was so damn good. And that is like the best way that, that we'll ever achieve that level of excitement is to really go to like fifth day for the bass masters and and start with a clean slate and tell everybody you know go drive to your spots use whatever launch ramp you want get there and within 15 minutes you better be at your spot you better have talked for a minute or two um we will air that live and here we go three hour shootout go and that's the only way we're really ever going to be able to come up with a a format that's really going to be conducive to get Coca-Cola, Walmart, McDonald's kind of marketing dollars, you know, into fishing where it's no longer a pay to play kind of a deal. Um, Again, I didn't come up with this, but it resonates with me. So, you know, and and until then we're all going to be, you know, we're going to be poker players. We're going to be, you know, like I think racing is probably a lot like it, like maybe not NASCAR, maybe not the Indy 500, but I think a lot of like drag racing, I think a lot of that's pay to play. And, you know, we're never going to be the NBA or the NFL or the MLB. (laughs) We're always going to be racers and poker players until we find a way to, to change the format of how we crown a champion. So the other thing too is, is like having some confrontation angler to angler confrontation would one be one way to get, you know, some, some viewers in there. Maybe if somebody wants a spot and they're both fishing a spot and one of them wants the other one to leave, we, we need to have a way you duke it out. You get on Roche the front and boat, boat. Yeah. You yeah. duke it out. First one off the boat has to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like, and like, so, like a hockey, kind of like a, the hockey fight, right? So, you know, to do something like that, it is. And I don't want to get too far into this because we really do. I really don't want to talk about fall fishing because you, you're going to, you're going to, you, you have a lot of shit to say about that. It's going to be awesome. But the, the sport of fishing, they're trying. The biggest thing here oh, over yeah. the last five years is they've invested in live. They've, mm-hmm. you know, they've, they've done a lot of things here recently to really start to try to drive viewership and they, they just have to dial it in. It's going to take some time because the sport is, is an old sport. There's not a lot of innovation outside of technology and lures and shit. There's not a lot of innovation that comes in with how you watch people fish. So I think they're going to figure it out in time. But I don't yeah. think fishing is going to tournament fishing is going to look like it does right now in five years. If they make it to that point where people want to watch, it ain't going to look like it does now. It's going to be what you just said, where there's like a you. It's going to be kayak fishing. You launch wherever the fuck you want to launch, and you fish, and you got a four hour shootout. And we don't have four hour shootouts, but we can launch wherever we want to. Yeah, I mean, hey, real quick, Joe, hey, hey, time out, real quick. Keep talking. I got a damn fucking smoke alarm chirping over by my kids bedrooms and i've got to go take that shit off before my wild ass boy wakes up so keep talking (laughs) and i'll be back in a minute yeah i mean all of us should praise steve bowman he's bass masters like main guy when it comes to pushing us to where we are now i mean he was the guy that 
helped get Zona and Davy Height on the water, talking to the anglers, doing live on the water stuff. Steve Bowman's brought us all Bassmaster Live. I mean, a lot of that stuff is, you know, because Steve has been progressive and he has helped push our sport into those, into those like aspects of coverage. Um, Steve is getting older. Like we as fans of the sport should pray every night to the fish gods to keep Steve Bowman healthy because he, he is the one who is the driving force to being progressive in the way that we view bass fishing. Um, so, you know, we all should pray for Steve Bowman's health, but, uh, at all times and, and he's a, he's strong like bull, but you know, like nobody lives forever and, and we need him too. Uh, but yeah, I, I really hope that, that fishing continues to progress at the rate that it has, or at least as fast as it has. Cause if, if we ever want to see big marketing dollars come into the sport, um, you know, Valvoline McDonald's, like that kind of crap. Um, you know, that that's what we're going to need. Woo. You brought it with you. <laughs> hey, I, hey, here's the main thing. I found the right one. I didn't have to start. <laughs> I didn't have to start yanking them out of the, the whole damn house. Lord, the batteries are stuck in there. Yeah. Um, and you know, yeah. bass fishing, bass fishing had that before. And then it went away when they started the elites, but it's just, they got to find their way. They got to find their way. All right. Yeah. Let's get into some fall fishing. And now I wanted to have you on for the fall fishing side of it, because we do have a, a lot of folks up in the Northern areas of America. Hmm. And you also have, you also have a lot of knowledge of fisheries in the South and, I can, I'll chime in with the fisheries I have in North Carolina in the fall. But fall fishing, a lot of people say it's the hardest time of fishing for them. And, I, you know, from, from the uh, northern perspective, I follow you, Catmandrew, and, and you know, a lot of other folks. And boy, the smallmouth look like they're on fucking fire this time of year. I mean, it's 30, 40. 20 25 pound bags that's boat that's that's fishing that is that's some damn uh, amazing shit so what does fall fishing look like for y'all the great lakes area because that's your area so we'll, we'll stick with that what does it look like what are you keying in on what are the fish doing are you catching largemouth at this time too are you focus on small leagues like what what does that fall fishing look like you from lures where you're looking for the fish and how you're targeting. Well, fall fishing in general looks like, I mean, really what it comes down to is, you know, you take these big, massive 300 mile Great Lakes that we have, and you can really start chopping tens and twenties and hundreds of miles out because all of these fish go to the bank and, uh, and they all follow the bait to the bank and the, and just like it does in the South, the bait start to really get grouped up and massive numbers of fish follow them before there becomes a lid over their head for, 
four or five months. <laughs> um, so like at Oneida, um, I don't think I'm telling anybody anything they haven't already learned. If they fish there, there's a river that flows into that lake and a river that flows out of it. And about the third week of October, a lot of years, um, 90% of the bait has left the lake and either goes to the inlet or the outlet. And everybody <laughs> is not fishing in the 22 miles of lake. They are now in the couple of miles of river on both sides that are connected to the Erie Canal. It's where all the bait goes. So that's where all the fish go feed up. They want to feed up big before winter. Um, before their metabolism slow and they kind of lull. So, I mean, for us, like the reason we're not necessarily weighing bags that are that it, uh, uh, can you guys hear me? I keep getting a, like a loading screen on my end. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, you're frozen, but ain't nobody watching. So keep talking. Okay. They listen. As long as they can hear me, like, we're not necessarily weighing these monster freaking bags that are so much bigger than our summertime bags because our fish have fed up so much more. No, we're just catching massive amounts of fish and they are all fat, but they're, we're also catching massive amounts of fish. Mm-hmm. And it's just because they're not keyed in on crawdads until it gets back down into the low 40s. Um, they're not, they're, they're literally chasing schools of bait because they want to eat as much food as possible every single second of the day. And they're all together. Um, and especially for our Northern lakes, a lot of them will get on the like little schools of shad too. And, and a shad is a big meal up here for a Northern bass, especially a smallie. And, um, gosh, you find shad eaters and whew. You can, you can make hay real quick. And, and, you know, our days get so short up here. I mean, it was dark before seven o'clock here today and, uh, Hmm. you know, it gets, it gets cold at night and, and those fish during the day when they can see that those shad, like you don't even have to go out first thing in the morning. Like there's no morning bite. It's freaking 46 degrees. Like (laughs) you go out whenever you're ready to go out, whenever you're you know, have had, a you know, two cups of coffee and feel ready for the morning. And you just fish through the six hours in the middle of the day and you can freaking go ham. And, uh, and I like to throw the chandelier. So I'm, I'm hucking that a rig on 22 pound test on a seven 11 extra heavy. And, uh, and I'm going to sack the crap out of them. And I'm going to fish that thing till my arm falls off. Um, <laughs> Because it's fun for me. And, and you know, as it gets even colder, that bite does die eventually. And usually that's when I start going steelhead fishing. But, like, you know, like Andy on Lake Erie, he'll get into that football jig bite and the blade bait, blade bait bite. And, you know, I, I don't do that as hard. I, I want to catch him while, you know, before I need to put gloves on anyway. Like, and, you know, like... <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, I love it. You're, we're catching massive numbers. Like, but don't, don't be super confused. Like you're just taking a 27 pound bag of smallies and turning it into a 29 and a half pound bag of smallies. You're really only gaining a half pound of fish in terms of feed up. Like, but, but a 30 freaking pound bag 
a small of any bass is just i mean that's a drink but there's there's i would be willing to bet that a majority of anglers boat anglers kayak and bass boat anglers will never in their lifetime catch a 30 pound bag well you got to think of it this way Corey johnston weighed 78 pounds for three days in the open on the st lawrence last year and that wasn't in the fall Mm -hmm. September 11th was day three. That's not the fall. That's the summer still. 78 pounds. That's 26 pounds a day for three straight days. Mm -hmm. And you're only turning. So you're only gaining a half or three quarters of a pound of fish. Like they're not. You're just catching. You're having so many more whacks at them that that's why you get to call up. The fish aren't that much bigger. You're just catching so many that you can keep calling. Mm-hmm. Now, you're talking about them uh, chasing the bait, chasing mm-hmm. shad. Where are the shad? And so I'm not very familiar with lakes up there. Down here, our lakes typically have a lot of creek arms in them. They could be small. They could be big. It's all relative to the lake that you're on. And down here these shad here are starting to bunch up. They're getting higher in the water column and they start moving into the back of the creeks. And so you can mm-hmm. narrow down. Do y'all have that kind of lake structure up there? And by structure, I mean the creek arms or do you have the big, what are you doing? The big bowls? Like where are the bait fish going? Where are you targeting these bass? Oh, I mean, so like right now, so we just saw our water temps drop out of the 80s, and now they're touching the 60s. They're in the 60s. So now a lot of these bait are starting to school up, but they're not necessarily making their way towards super shallow water yet. But a lot of them are, are starting to school up in off, offshore schools where we have shoals and islands. And then all of those fish will start to push up into that dying grass in the upcoming weeks when, you know, cause our grass is just now starting to get, you know, less healthy. Um, so they will start, you know, calling points and, um, you know, shoals that get shallow, they're starting to call them home right now. And they will start to work their way into the creeks and into the, warmer pockets that aren't getting the wind as often right now. And that's when we're all going to freaking put when they are, are on the main lake points and working their way into the backs right now to find those warmer bays, those warmer coves, or even the creeks that are feeding, you know, runoff that that's where we're going to friggin' hammer them for the next month. But I mean, that month goes by quick because the days are getting shorter, man. They mm-hmm. really are. So, um, I mean, by November 1st, like I'll basically, I'll be done bass fishing on November 1st, but you know, I, I have buddies that will bass fish until Christmas and they will hit that blade bait bite and stuff. And, Mm -hmm. and Andy's one of them, like Andy won't Mm -hmm. stop fishing until there's too much ice on the ramp that, you know, a 40 pound (laughs) bag of salt ain't going to fix it anymore, you know? Yeah, especially since he's got his new boat, you know, he's all wired up. And and by when he's talking about Andy, uh, he's talking about past uh, guests, Cat Mandrew from the Serious Angler. Uh, follow him on his social media because he's about to start posting photos 
of his guiding trips and him going out fishing that are just they're there. I want to get up there this time of year, maybe next year. I don't know. We got to see. I'm going up there this time of year to do it. So you throw the A rig a lot. Are they just on that ship where you just don't put, like that's the only rod you take out or, or, or some days you have to slow okay. it down to a little small swim jig or yeah. I mean, so, a swim bait or something. So here's the deal is, you know, I have the luxury of being picky now. Like, so, and in years, in years past, I haven't had that luxury. So I've had to go out there with like a single swim bait and sometimes a jerk bait. And, um, but I'm always going to be throwing something that's moving right now, since I can pick and choose to go out on the most awful days, which is what I'm going to choose to do. That's what I'm going to throw the rig because everybody, everybody in fishing, right. Wants to argue about the, what the best bite is, right. There are guys that are like frog bite, best bite in fishing, spook frog bite, the most bite overrated in bite in fishing. Fuck a frog bite. So, it's only good so, when you can't get, you yeah, throw a floating right? worm so, and catch the same fish with a, as a frog and it'd be just as fun. Fuck a frog bite. Anyway, go ahead. So to me, there are two great bites in fishing and they're all based on, you know, where I live and, and what I've, ex and what my experience has been just as anybody else's opinion is. But for me, like 80% of the year, I want to feel that fish just kind of like on a, on a light finesse rig, start to run away with it. And then me lean into them real soft because I love, I love that time, and Polinek talks about it. I love that time between when I get a bite and when my brain registers that I've got a bite until I hook into them. That's my favorite thing in the world. So I love that finesse bite because I do it all the time. But my favorite, favorite bite is catching a smallmouth on an A-rig. They absolutely want to take the rod from you. And when Clint and I were filming uh, like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago now, I caught my new personal best on Oneida catching an A-rig. And five minutes before that, I caught a 14-incher on an A-rig. And both of those bites, the 14-incher and the 5.7 five, five that I caught, they both tried to take the rod away from me. And like, to me, it's the best bite in the world. They absolutely waffle the damn thing. And I, I can't, I'm, it's, I'm addicted as hell. Um, so I, I'm just going to throw the shit out of it all fall because I love that bite. And I do the mm. same thing in the spring too. Like if I'm not prepping for a, for an open dude, when those fish are get are first coming in out of deep water to like, roam the shallows to think about spawning if it's fucking windy out i am throwing the shit out of that a rig i love it <laughs> because they absolutely waffle the darn thing mm -hmm. <clears throat> so i mean to me it's the most fun bite i mean I, I, the only thing i can compare it to is a saltwater fish that just absolutely cremates a moving bait like they mm -hmm. i love it i mean they absolutely shark it and they never like it's just so fun. And, and we have such good rod technology now that, and, and line nowadays 
that like you can feel even 22 pound lines stretch a little bit. And now we have big 7-Eleven extra heavy rods that bend really parabolically. They're not broomsticks like a flipping stick is. So you get them on that big rod and that big line and you can control those fish. We have 300 size reels now with big handles and massive gears. And you don't have to use that old Calcutta style reel that's huge <laughs> and round and, and weighs the, the old ambassador. <laughs> right. You don't have to use like, Yeah. 5,500, you know, like you don't have to use that stuff anymore. So like bass fishing with that big crap is now fun because like you can move the rod and you can work the a rig and like, it's just it like, it's a lot like big bait fishing, but um, when these fish hit it, they, they, you know, it, but like you, your body reacts to the bite before your brain. Like when I catch mm. a lot of fish on big baits, oftentimes my brain knows I have the bite or I put pressure on them. And before my body reacts, this is the opposite. Mm. This is, they try to rip the rod out of your hand and then your brain is you're hooked up and, and you have to fight back. And to me that like startling, like, ah, oh, where they try to take advantage, you have to rope a dope and come back. Like, that is, that's addicting, man. So, like, I'm going to throw the rig. Like, that's just what I do. And you you use four-facing sonar. You're, you're big into your technology. Does four-facing sonar, uh, side imaging, stuff like that, does that play into this bite, or is it shallow enough that, you know, you just, you know what a fish are going to be and you throw on them. Are you finding them with side imaging or are you, are you using the technology? And if you are, how are you using that technology? To I mean, find I, I'm using it. I'm using it way different and at a much faster pace than I'm doing it in the summertime. Um, like I really set. Oh shit. All right. We got a little inactivity right now. Joe has a spinning circle. So either his internet just went out, his phone died, or something. So uh, he dropped off. He's going to sign back on. I'm going to have to let him back in. There he goes. I wonder if it's storming outside real bad. It was stinking blowing like 30 or 35 today. So I wonder if that's why my internet well, you were just me. talking about You were just talking about being cheap as hell earlier. So you probably got the slowest fucking internet that no. you could buy to get no. by with. No, no, no. I, don't, I can't live like that, man. I have great internet and it costs an arm and a leg. And uh, because I need the technology to do my job. Maybe that's why I don't pay for all the other cable and stuff is because I'm too busy paying for good service. But uh, um, no. So what I was saying, though, is using that technology, but I'm not using it like the spring and the pre-spawn into the spawn. I'm not using it like post-spawn in summer. I'm using it at a very fast rate. And a lot of it is just using my map, dropping the trolling motor, and I am just constantly flicking the flashlight, a.k.a. my forward-facing sonar. I'm just flicking it around while I'm casting that A-rig downwind as far as I can throw it. And, uh, you know, I'm just hoping to stumble on to bait because um, if I can find bait clouds while I'm fishing, it gets even easier. But really, I'm covering water at such a fast pace. Now I'm using my mapping technology probably as my number one primary tool. 
Um, whereas hmm. typically once I kind of narrow down my depth highlights on my, on my Lake master charts to where I kind of want to target fish in a, in a body of water. Um, usually then I am very reliant on 360 telling me that there's mm. structure where I'm fishing. I'm more reliant on, on my mapping systems in the fall because they're going to put me on points on um, areas where bait is going to kind of congregate and it's going to congregate there usually for five, six weeks before it really moves. And sometimes it really only does it at certain times of the day, but it tends to be bait will tend to be in the same places at the same time of day. And that, that those fish, those sight feeding smallmouth will show up there at the same time of the day following them. So if you know an hour and a half before daylight ends that you caught fish here on the 20th of the month, they will be there on the first of the next month until they are done showing up at that time. And they are, they will, they will do it pretty consistently for a while. And then when they are done, they are done and you might as well pack up your balls for winter. Um, get warm buddy. Cause it's going to be a long winter. Um, cool. but no, so, you can, we can do that. Yeah. The, the, the following the this many hours before daylight thing is, is definitely a thing. You mentioned check, check your mic too. I think it switched off your headphones and onto your computer or whatever you're using. Um, you mentioned structure. And so what structure are you looking for? You mentioned points specifically. So you you mentioned looking for, for points. That's a good one. What does a what does a good point look like? Is it a long, long tapering point? Is it more of a a point that's kind of a flat? Um, what what does that structure look like that you're finding the bait fish on where these fish are gonna congregate so i really like the longest point i can find but when i'm when i say long i probably want there to be like 10 feet foot deep of that point going for quite a ways mm. i don't want it to be like just a point on the map where there's a, a spot where it blocks the wind like when i see a point I want that point to be mostly underwater or completely underwater. And I want to see like 10 feet deep run out really far um, because I can throw across that and I know it drops off on either side. Um, so they might be on the inside closer to where the drop is steeper. They might be on the outside where you can throw really far across it they'll be somewhere on it. But what I'm looking for is mainly an underwater point where there is a shelf and a top to it. But that top still has a good bit of water. Um, so that's really what I'm looking for. And, and usually I'm, it, usually it's mostly red on my hummingbird charts, but if you, if you run Navionics or you run C maps um, or you just run the Navionics app on your phone, if you're, if you don't have great electronics and mapping systems on your boat, that's okay too. Like download a Humminbird Lake Master chart or download an avionics chart for your body of water. And you're going to see 
it sticks out in a color very far mm. and it's underwater. We want that underwater point to stick out. And usually in New York, I, I want it to be at least like five to 10 feet deep. Um, because they're going to, they're going to get on the edges of it. And sometimes they're going to get on top of it. And depending on the wind direction, they may set up one way or another, but like bait will, bait will congregate there and it'll, mm -hmm. it'll congregate there pretty much at the same time of day, every day. Cause bait doesn't stay still. It moves around and it, it has a, you know, it has a commute every day mm -hmm. in the fall. Bait has a commute every day hmm. and they're just the first commuters going to where they're going right the smallmouth are also commuting and they're following them to try to get behind them and eventually intersect them they're going to catch up eventually um so the the smallies are going to show up at the same place every time of day too they're making the same circle the same commute you just you know you got to get in tune with that but i think it's something that a lot of anglers at their home bodies of water especially if there's smallmouth around probably haven't really gotten in tune with. Um, but it's something that we've kind of found over the years. Like you can catch them at the same, same amount of time mm -hmm. before daylight ends, same places every day. And you, and it goes for a few weeks. It's fun. Yeah. Do you have a large mouth bite up there during the fall or is it predominantly going to be smallies? We do. I mean, the bite at Cayuga isn't necessarily as good as it is other times of the year. But I mean, you can go up there and you can fricking crush some biggins. When that grass starts dying, there's a lot smaller area for those largies to hide, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they start going to docks and they start going to bushes and they start going to underwater cover of some kind. And as that grass starts dying and pushing its way back to where there's only grass, you know, in freaking out of the water um you can it just you're narrowing the amount of cubic miles that you have to fish and you can't necessarily catch those largies fishing as fast like i'm not taking the a rig to cayuga to try to catch largies but you know if i'm going to take a jig or a rattle trap or a square bill there you know i have way less ground to cover than i do mm -hmm. any other time of the year Side note, hold up your left hand. Oh, I swear your damn middle finger had a wrap on it. What the hell was oh, in your no, hand? I was like, I kept playing with the with my AirPods Okay, thing. look, look, for people that are listening and not watching, he held up his left hand and he had a white, it looked like a white bandage over his left middle finger. And I was about to say, what the hell did you do? But he tricked nah. me. It was holding up some Play-Doh or something. He's over there nah. eating Play-Doh, I think, in, in between. Yeah, nah, I just, I like, I'm playing with the AirPods case. Like, Uh-huh. <laughs> Look, see, there, there you go. That's the ADHD. He's got to have something oh, in his, yeah. he's got to have something in his damn hands. And yep. if it ain't boobies, it's an AirPod case. So. Yeah, fidget spinner. Fidget spinner. <laughs> yeah. Lord. Oh my 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 son is so <laughs> fidgety. The fidget spinner wasn't enough. Uh, so down here, and I'm I'm strictly talking to the lakes that I'm at, Jordan and Sharon Harris here in North Carolina, because th these are the lakes that I have the most experience on. 
and the fall is when I've had my best fishing the last two years. So last year going into this year. <clears throat> and these fish here, they're doing a lot of the same stuff. Like fish are fish are fish. And at certain times of the year, all the fish, regardless of their small mouth or large mouth or spot, they're doing the same thing. And this time of year, the large mouth here are getting ready. They're feeding up. Um, they're, they're on bait. You see a lot more topwater action from the fish busting. Not necessarily mean going to catch them on topwater. But in the fall here, they start to move. They're on the main lake points. And you can follow them into that that the mouth of a creek. And then you can follow them into the secondary points. And it, sometimes they'll be in the back. But here's the cool thing about around here is they can be in the back of the creek. They can be on the secondary points. They could be on that main lake point, but they're schooled up. And so you can go out there and they're feeding. They are savages. How Joe was talking about those smallmouth ripping the rod out of your hand. I went today for an hour and a half with Carter. And long story, my graph wouldn't work because I fucked it up. Not too bad, though. I fixed it. <laughs> but... um. I'm looking for schools, and it, on your side imaging, you can see these 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 schools of fish on your side imaging clear as day. It's probably the same thing with smallmouth in the 360 that you're using, but you can see them. And when they're there, I throw I don't throw a huge spoon. I throw a, a five five and a half inch spoon. I think is what it is. That's what I start off with. And then you can get three or four fish out of a school with that. And when they hit it, they knock the ever loving shit out of it. But the bait fish this time of year are going to be the biggest they're going to be, with the exception of the winter. But right now, they're they're as about as big as you can get. And throwing that big spoon in there, what we've done over the last couple of years is we've been able it sinks past those smaller fish that are actually chasing the bait up high. And those bigger fish are kind of down below getting the stuff that floats down. Now, it's not to say they won't bust and you can catch them up high, but that spoon gets down there real quick. Also, it's the biggest part. It's the biggest bait when you throw that big spoon down there. <coughs> so for visual cue, you know, those fish, the bigger fish are typically going to get that, especially when you get to a school. The first two or three fish you're going to catch are usually going to be bigger. And it happened today. It was a perfect example. We get over there. I saw two fish bust, and they were decent size, I could tell. So I threw over there. The first one was about four pounds. And then the second one was three, three and a half. And the other three I caught were like two and a half pounders. But those big fish are there and they're schooled up and you can see them and find them. But this is what I like about this time of year too, is you can throw that spoon. You can throw a swing head. You can throw a small swim bait. You can throw they rig. I don't throw they rig a lot. But you can also go in there and not, not yet. Once we get into November, is the time that you can go back to your square bills and you can go back to your lipless and you can go and you can beat the bank. And by beat the bank, I mean, you can go to those secondary points and focus on those secondary points and really catch good fish there with, with shallower running lures. <clears throat> and, but what I like about this time of year, and I think that's one reason why I've had good last year, uh, and going into this year is I learned how to read my electronics. So I was able to, 
to use the mapping software to go find these points that are the best. And typically these points are going to be here where I catch most of the fish. They're going to be rocky and they're going to be long points, but they're also going to be flatter. So it's almost, you know, it's almost like a flat instead of a point. But those fish gang up on those things and, and sometimes they're high in the water column chasing fish. And other times you'll see a school down there sitting on the bottom and you can work that school a lot easier because they're not moving around as much. But but using that technology and the mapping software to find these points, I fish mainly I have a kayak. And so I have to when I get when I get to an area, that's the area I'm in for a while, especially if I only have two or three hours. I can't do no running. This time right. of year, I'd love to get in my buddy's bass boats because we can go to this point, we can scan it. If we don't see anything, we ain't fishing. We're going right. to the next one. And we can hit them until we find a school. We find a school, we fish them. Well, on the kayak, I do the same thing, but I ain't running the whole fucking lake. You know, I'm running, <laughs> I'm running wherever the hell I am. And if they ain't there, I'm over there looking for the one or two fish sitting on the bottom, hoping I can get one of those to bite until those fish get geared up. But this time of year for us too, that afternoon bite is really where it gets, that's when they get active. And uh, this kind of goes back to what we touched on earlier was when that fall transition happens, you have that, that sharp decline in the water temperature and the days are getting shorter. Those fish kind of, well, they don't kind of, they do, they transition. And so two weeks ago, the, I talked to a lot of people on the ramp. Two weeks ago, they're like, man, I was wearing them out, killing them. Big fish, just tons of fish. And this past week, people are like, man, I caught two or three, but nothing like it was two weeks ago. Well, the bite has really transitioned to a later in the day bite. And the fish are there. The times I've been out, I can find the schools. Now, we've got a few to fire. We usually catch two or three, and then you can see them disperse, and they're hard to catch. You can throw a swing head or a jig or something like that in there and pull another two out. But they they just hadn't been like they have been and like they're about to get to be, to where you can get to a school and you can catch five or six in, you know, 15 minutes, and they're good fish, strong, healthy fish. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, and that that's a little bit of the difference in nature between the smallmouth and the largemouth, too. Smallie doesn't let anything go by, and uh, they'll, they're willing to travel greater distances and, and follow their meals, whereas those largemouth aren't necessarily leaving where they were. They just aren't. They're just being lazy, dude. They're, they're your... Your, your uncle that doesn't get off the couch on a Saturday until the SEC games are all over, you know? He's going to sit yeah. there, and he's he, he ain't getting up. And and that's that's the largemouth for you, whereas the smallies, they're going to they're gonna spend the weekend running around trying to find, you know, they're going to keep changing the channel till they find the best game of the week, you know? They don't care which one it is. So the largemouth is your 50-year-old uncle – that don't give shits about nothing but drinking natural lights and watching TV. And then your small mouth are the 22-year-olds running around chasing ass. They all over gonna, the place going after everything. They're going to every stinking tailgate <laughs> until they find the best one. They don't care which game it is. They're, they're looking for the best party, buddy. Yeah. But the, but the cool thing about it is when those largemouth do turn on, 
mm-hmm. they they turn on and you can you can I would say we have in February ish, give or take the weather, you have the best chance of catching a fish eight pounds or more in, in Jordan and Sharon Harris. Now it's a small window, but this time of year in the fall is probably the longest window where the majority of anglers have the opportunity of catching that seven pound and up bass, largemouth yeah. bass down here. And it's because those bass aren't up to, to, to breed, to nest. Mm-hmm. They're up to eat. And that mm-hmm. that's their sole goal. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you have a much better chance this time of year. <coughs> I, I think this time of year, you have to be really good at your electronics. To, to be able to do that because you got to find the areas you got to be able to scan you got to be able to see the fish and then you got to be able to fish for them but when there's schools i mean you could you have the opportunity to throw more lures instead of just trying to pick up one fish here or there yeah i mean i don't know that you know i i think to a point if you are great with your electronics you're way ahead of a lot of people but if you're not good with electronics you just have to be great at reading the conditions and saying, nah, they're not eating it right now where they should, the way they should. We got to pick up the trolling motor, drive 55 miles an hour to the next spot and make haste quick. Mm-hmm. Like, so you either need to be really good with your electronics or you need to have a really good fishy sense to pack it up and go to the next one real quick. Like you got to go through a really quick rotation and if you don't get anything in 10 minutes, rip up the trolling motor and go do that whole rotation again on the next spot, you know? That's interesting you brought that up. So I got a buddy that um, he, he fishes around. He doesn't fish Sharon Harris much, and he hollered at me last week wanting to get out and fish. So we went out. this Monday or Wednesday. We fished for a few hours. And he's got two. He's got a 9-inch Lawrence on the, on the console, a 9-inch on the trolling motor, and wasn't using the side imaging. And I mm-hmm. said, man, look, I don't know how to work your shit, but we got to get your side image in a little bit better because that's what we're looking for. The fish are still, they're still, they were, they're still in their summer schools for the main part here. And now he is a good angler in the lo- local tournament. He fishes. He's, his, I think he was fourth. He's sitting in fourth. He's a good angler. He does good. But at the end of the day, and I'm no, by no means a professional at anything. I just know what I know. And I happen to know a little bit more about looking at the technology than he did. And he had never thrown a spoon before. And so these were two things that he, that I was able to teach him while we were out there. But the first thing that he said, after we found the first school, we caught some fish. We found the second school, we caught some fish. He was like, I've never thrown a spoon before. And he was throwing one and catching fish. But other things like, damn, how much time do I fucking waste fishing a whole, you know, fan casting a whole fucking point to find the fish or how many times do I go to these points that I know fish are here and I fish that they're not there and I leave them, but maybe they're 20 yards, you know, off to the side instead of off the point. His whole thing from a tournament perspective was how much time am I wasting? How many fish am I missing by not using the technology, by not looking to see that they're, and the one thing that he said verbatim was, dude, I'm I'm catching, I'm fishing for limits. And it makes sense that other guys I'm fishing against are culling fish left and right because they're using their technology. 
Yeah. I mean, there that's the thing, right? Is like our sport is if if you know how to utilize the technology that we have and you have a wallet that can support you affording <laughs> limitless technology, mm-hmm. um you what you are doing is you are putting yourself in a position of efficiency. Um, uh, the pros always talk about time on the water, time on the water, mm-hmm. but they're never telling you what to be working on in yep. that time on the water, right? They're all like, you got to be on the water. You got to do it. You want to be a pro, you got to be on the water, man. Um, one of those things is learning how to become efficient. And like, dude, I look forward yep. to the day that like, I'm like retired or like, just like maybe guiding like in my sixties or whatever. Um, and you know, I'm just really good because I've had, you know, so many years of fishing under my belt where like, I just drop the trolling motor or whatever time that, I, that I do get to get out on the water. I'm just so efficient that like mm-hmm. I'm on fish like that. Cause that's what the pros do. We all want to be like, well, how, how come these guys catch them so much, but how come they always find the big fish or how come like, dude, I've, I, I've never caught fish that big. It's my home lake. I've been fishing here for 40 years. Well, you know what they've done is they've figured out how to be crazy freaking efficient. And that's all mm. it is. We know how to say, well, I'm not going to fish there, there, or there. I don't care if there's a bunch of two and a half pounders there. Like I'm going to move on. And I'm going to be as efficient as possible in trying to find the five biggest bites that I can get. And, you know, like everybody forgets about all of your disastrous finishes because we all only notice the pros at the top that go Mm -hmm. and sack those monster bags at our home lakes. And we go, how come these guys figured it out so good? Well, dude, 90 other dudes didn't. They were trying to do the same exact mm-hmm. thing where they all ruled out all of the little fish spots. It just so happens 10 of them absolutely sacked the ever-living shit out of them because those 10, their system of efficiency put them in that position that week. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work out every single time. I mean, we're all not not the best on the planet 99.9% of the time. But like 10 guys are great every week and it's not always the same 10 but 10 are great every week and and we all are like well, i don't understand how these guys do it well it's it's not the same dude doing it every <laughs> yeah. week like it's unless you're jacob yeah. wheeler or kvd those are the only two and i guess you could say roland martin those are yeah. the, really the only three that have dominated that those three have dominated the sport of fishing but there are also the Michael Jordans and the Magic Johnson and the LeBron James of fishing. Like they're generational talents, and they have they have the the it factor that a lot of people don't do. To back up a little bit about using your technology in the fall, for me, what I learned last year, and I learned this from a couple guys that I fish with, was the schools are there in the summer. They're a little bit harder to see. But in the fall, if you use your technology, you can see the school. You don't even have to have it dialed in perfectly. You don't even have to be an expert at reading your side imaging. 
But if you have side imaging and you have it set up just enough and you're scanning 50, only 50 or 60 feet out, when you go to these locations where fish should be, they might not always be there. But if you go to where they should be and you go to enough of those places, you're going to see that school on your graph. And you're going to be able to drop a waypoint or a buoy. And you're going to be able to fish for those fish. And you're going to be able to catch them when a lot of other people on the lake wouldn't because they're not doing that. That's that's my whole thing with fall fishing is they do they get so schooled up, they get so active, they get so tight that it's it's amazing to see that shit on the on, on your side. And I'm gonna go with side imaging because that's what I use, and I think that's what the majority of people are using when they're searching. When you find them, they are fucking there, and you can fish that spot until they don't bite anymore. And you know what? You can come back 30 minutes later, they might not be there but they're going to be somewhere in that area and you can find yeah. them again and go catch them. Yeah. Since they live closer to each other in proximity to one another. Um, and they're not necessarily like competing for their territory with which that lion lives in and hunts. Mm -hmm. It's living amongst the pride, a very large pride of other lions. They, uh, it's they show themselves they reveal themselves mm -hmm. to the forms of technology that we use to see them a little bit differently and um to the less experienced eye it's a little easier to see them and in turn catch them so yeah i mean like to me like when me and andy are at, on erie or on Ontario in the summer, it seems very obvious to us because that's where our experience lies. But like to a, to a less experienced eye, that's a very hard thing for a lot of people to see. Um, the way these fish reveal themselves in the fall, mm -hmm. it's a little bit easier. It's a little bit easier on, on the untrained eye or the less trained eye. And they'll bite fucking damn near anything you throw in the water if you're around them too. Yeah, they'll they'll eat a piece of bubblelicious if you toss it their way. Yeah, exactly. You find these schools. I mean, they are they they are they are ready to eat. Like there's they're savages, and yep. uh, I mean they, I mean they, they. It's just to me, it's the whole. Oh Lord, Joe is yawning. Look at him. I'm you sorry. Know he's got a fishing trip tomorrow. I, mean, you don't I got up early because I. I knew I needed to go to bed early because I had to get up early again. So, like, I just I started the cycle last night, and yeah. Joe, I Joe knew, got I up knew. early because he knew that he needed to go to bed early, and then yet he still hops on Bass and Brews with me and not Alex, guaranteeing that this is going to be a nine-hour podcast. Well, that's okay. That's okay. No. I, I've, I've made worse decisions in my life, you know? <laughs> I don't know, man. Coming on Bass and Brews is, is it's a pretty rough decision. I can't believe some of the people you've had on. Um, I mean, I'm I'm always down for a bad choice or two a week. You know? Oh shit! You know that's why you continue to come on. I mean, you know, you're you're a bad choice maker, and we're here to help you achieve that goal. What I appreciate is your you facilitating. Anytime, man. Anytime. I will talk <laughs> fishing to my damn to my nutsack falls off. And there ain't no doubt about it. I could talk fishing. My wife, I quit talking fishing with her because she quit listening. It's unbelievable. 
I can't believe it's it. still good practice. Me. Even if she's not listening, you can still go. Uh, well, yeah. Well, oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe she started throwing shit at me. So I was like, yeah, it's time. It's time. Let me, let me beg somebody to be on their podcast. And so here I am. <laughs> How much experience do you have fishing for largies? Not in the North in the fall. Do you have a lot of experience doing that? No. no. Hmm. Well, it'll be interesting when I get to North Carolina. I'm glad I. I'm glad I'll have some hometown locals showing me around. <laughs> Look, I will take you to the places where we catch fish, but when you show up, it's either going to be shitty weather, or they ain't going to be there. That's that's my bet. Well, but, I mean, it'll be. But you're uh, the professional, so I'm. Re- I'm just relying. On, I said the fish should be around here. You're the professional, Joe. I'm going to rely on you to get us on the good fish. Here's the thing is like if the weather's crappy, um, we'll hang out, watch the outer realm all day, and then uh, and then we'll go the next day when it's going to be nicer. <laughs> like, I, if it's that I, crappy, I I'll no... cook barbecue and we'll eat, we'll, we'll eat delicious barbecue and watch the outer realm. I don't, I don't need to race home for you know to see it start to flurry outside, so <laughs> we'll be all right. It ain't going to be snowing down here. I can damn near almost guarantee you that. I can't wait. <laughs> but what what I'll – so I, I have the opportunity. I'm an, I'm an okay angler. I know what I know, and, and and sometimes I catch fish, sometimes I don't. That's And that's pretty much every angler, right? But I also yeah. have the opportunity to fish with some really, really good anglers here uh, on their on their bass boats. And every time I get to go out with them, they all fish different. So I'm learning different stuff. And I'm and it's it's funny to me how I will fish with one guy and we'll go to this this point, this area. And the another guy that I fish will go to the same point, the same area. And they'll fish it two totally different ways. Mm-hmm. And they'll both catch fish. And then some days one will catch fish and one won't. And so having the opportunity to go out with different people, and this goes to folks that want to go out and learn how to fish and learn how to be a better angler, you make these connections and, and pay, for the, pay for drinks, pay for ice, pay for gas, pay for that stuff and go out there because that's an invaluable experience because you're going to learn okay. something from all these people. And especially if you're in a kayak and you want to learn a lake better, you want to get out there and do some different fishing, uh, moving offshore. You know, that's a big thing with kayak folks because a lot of kayak folks come from the bank to the kayak, and but they're still fishing on the bank. They're just throwing at it from a different angle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, being able to get out, and that's, that's one of the reasons, you know, I've wanted you to come down here and fish. And one of the reasons why Matt and I fish a good bit earlier in the spring was it's these connections that I make. I want to fish with other people to learn mm-hmm. and to see how you do something. And you bring a northern aspect down here to these lakes that might be completely different than anything we've done around here. And that shit might be, you know, it might be the, a difference maker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, if anything, it, it should just give us a little more a little more experience to piece together a future puzzle quicker later, you know? Yep. Yep. I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's it's the same thing as being able to go and sit 
and shoot the shit with four other professional anglers that you're just there to film, but be able to soak up that knowledge. Yeah, for sure. Well, is there anything else in, in this fall period or even leading into when those, you said at one point, those fish, they're there for five or six weeks. And when they're done, they're done. Like what is, so, when do you know they're done? When do you know it's time to pack the boat up and, and go steelhead fishing? Or, you know, it's time to come off and throw your Ned rigs and blade baits. Normally it's, it's pretty water temp dependent. I mean, and, and maybe it's not so much water temp dependent as it is length of days, but uh, the two seem to go relatively hand in hand. Um, you know, when we get that water temp down to 48, I mean, it's freaking cold and the days are short up here. Um, I mean, usually that that's telling me a lot. I mean, a lot of these fish are they are like as shallow as can be. And then all of a sudden they're not there. They're not on these shallow points anymore. They're not in these mm. warmer coves anymore. They're not in those places where, um, where, where we were catching them. And it's usually because the bait is just gone. The bait has either gone all the way up these creeks and rivers and places we can't get, get boats any further or on the other bodies of water that don't have these feeder creeks, the bait will go out to nothingness, to roaming mm. in deep water. And that's when that blade bite, blade bait bite, and that football jig bite really come alive. They're, the fish have gone to where they are going to winter. And uh, that's usually when my lithium batteries say it's 20 something it, with the wind chill at night. So yeah. we don't want to be in the boat anymore. And I take them out of the boat. I park the boat for the year and I go steelhead fishing. Like, I don't care. I don't get cold. Like I used to teach skiing and snowboarding in Vermont. Like my ears don't get cold. My hands don't get cold. I don't fish in gloves ever. Um, I, I don't have to do like I used to teach skiing in Vermont without wearing gloves. I don't know. My hands don't get cold. My boat equipment doesn't want to work. And, and I don't. Yeah. And I like, I don't have a garage. So like I have to button that baby up before it gets really mm. like too cold to button her up for the year. Like, <laughs> So, um, you know, like you're out there around, with a hair dryer trying to trying to pull that that button just another inch. Yeah, to smash it in. and, you know, so like I store it with the cover on, and then I usually bubble wrap the whole thing. Like I get it, I get it shrink wrapped, mm -hmm. and then uh, then I park it under a twenty by ten, um, you know, canopy, and then I put uh, uh, tarps on the sides so that snow can't like blow onto the mm. boat too. And uh, so like I button her up and I can't, I don't want to be doing that. Uh, you know, when it's, when it's below freezing outside, um, even if it's just one of those cold days, like I don't want to do it. 
so she's always put away before she's put away by like November for, or by like the first or second week of November. It's always before Thanksgiving she's put away. And I mean, like I, dude, I was telling you before we went live, I, my serenity now, like is, is steelhead fishing. And I, Andy taught me how to put the fly rod down and get out the 13 foot center pin. And if you don't know what center pin fin fishing is, Mm-mm. look it up. It is, I mean, we're using six pound test on a 13 foot rod and Dang it on. is so freaking fun to catch these fish that weigh in the teens that are like shark, like cheetah speed and we're using this light. Oh yeah, they cheetahs. And, they cheetahs. Uh, Short like cheetah. Crazy. Cheetah. They're, they're they like Chester cheetah, man. They cheetah shaman. And and I love it. And so I mean, like, I get the bug to do it, and I, and I can't help it. And um, so I I just I've never stuck around to put my equipment through that. But I have friends that are. They will fish. I mean, I, I know Scott, who's one of my best friends. He owns Lakeside Outfitters on Oneida Lake. And uh, I know Scott has fished on many a New Year's Day. And uh, I, I have, I've fished many a New Year's Day, but not from my bass boat. Um, I'm usually standing in waders in the creek. And uh-huh. Scott's out there just ripping jerk baits till he can't do it anymore. Like I like the a rig in the fall. Like Scott's throwing the crap out of mega bass one tens, dude. Like that's Mm. his thing. And, um, he, and he is going to catch the snot out of them until the very last day that somebody can back the boat down the ramp. Um, so how many times, how many times a week after you put your boat up and you button her up, how many times a week do you go outside and you stand in the freezing cold and stare at it, smoking her? a cigarette and stare yes. at your boat and be like, Oh my God, I've got like 88 more days. Um, to be <laughs> honest, <laughs> to be honest, like I don't, I, and this is like, I might go too in depth here. I love the 365 day calendar year of fishing. I don't have to be in the boat. I, I love. Yeah. I love the tackle prep and organization and all the things I do inside in the winter. Mm. And then I love, I, I, I almost dread starting the year because it's always a shit show for me to begin it. Um, like, because there are so many guys who have warmer weather that can kind of like ease into fishing. And I always mm. start you. I mean, I have fished my first day in the boat of the year. I've driven, four hours south to fish BFLs as my very first day. I'm not even talking mm-hmm. like I, I didn't even go and practice. Like I'll just show up and fish a BFL against 110 or 150 other boats. And I didn't even practice. Like I just show up. That's my first day of fishing. It's <laughs> fishing a nerve. And like it, so it's always, it's, it's often an April shit show for me. And I, I mean, I've gone in March before, but it, either way, it's a friggin' shit show. And so I don't really look forward to that. I love, my organization time in the winter. And then, so like this year, when I go fish that first open, I'll go like two or three weeks ahead of time to get all the shittiness out of the way. But then, uh, get all the boat kinks out the boat. Just like, just out of my mind. Like I don't organize tackle the same way every year in the boat. I don't put everything in the same place every year. So like, 
you know, it takes me three or four or five days before like I kind of fall back into that, you know, don't even look to grab something kind of a mode. Um, so like it takes me those those first few days to get into that mode again. And I look forward to um, or I don't really look forward to having to relearn that skill every year, like re have that motor skill of just reaching for your pliers, mm -hmm. reaching for your jerk bait box, reaching for your terminal tackle box. Like I don't look forward to rebuilding that every year. Um, I, I, I wish that was just automatic, but I don't think it ever will be with me because I'm so OCD. I put so much <laughs> crap in the boat that yeah. like, I, I just, I never, I never start the year out in a very simplistic fashion. And um, so it takes me some time to get in the groove. I don't really like that. And then by the end of the year, because I am so OCD and it, and like I'm up late talking to you guys, you know, all year long, by the time bass fishing as a competitive thing and as a business thing, by the time that kind of fades out and it's time to go steelhead fishing again, you know, I'm ready for that to happen. And, so I look forward to the whole calendar year. I don't, I don't kind of like wish the next thing would come sooner. I, I'm never, I'm never there. I'm always like in the moment and, and I yeah. just kind of like, you know, I just enjoy what I'm doing every day until the next thing comes, you know? And see, that's, that's a difference in perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm down here in North Carolina. Nothing nice is over. Mm -hmm. I fish 365 days a year. I'm fishing in December, January, February, 18 degrees, 15 degrees. I still go out there. You know, the fishing's a lot tougher. It's a lot slower. But I I bass fish year-round. That's mm -hmm. what I do. Like, I don't have that lull to where I have to go do something else. So my perspective is exactly what I just said to you. I'd be out there looking. You know, if I moved, if I moved up to where you are next year, put the boat up in November. I'd be out there every day being like, Oh fuck. I want to go fish or I'd be broke as hell because I got four months out of the year where I want to go fish. And the only thing I can do is more fishing shit. Yes. And so I'm leading into is that, is that winter period where you're still head fishing expensive. So you're not bass fishing. <laughs> Are you preparing for the next year with the stuff that you know you want? But also, it, are you seeing a bunch of sh not shiny new shit? You're like, oh shit, I gotta try this. I gotta try this. I gotta make this. And then when you go to that first tournament, you're like, you got all this shit that you you bought because you want to try or use. You know, like, what the fuck am I doing with this? I'm I'm throwing I'm throwing the A rig. You know, fuck the rest of this stuff. Um. Well, you're fifty percent right. So the first in until the very end, you explain my life and it's why there's no ring on any of these fingers. Right. <laughs> so I, I like, I'm a, I'm a tackle addict and a hoarder and uh, it has cost me many a romantic relationship. Um, I, like no, no joke. Um, like that's the God's honest truth. And, and, like I have one of the most intense tackle collections on the planet. Like when I do qualify for the elite series someday, um, I will probably be the most prepared who has ever qualified. And, and I, I really, 
I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. I like business wise tackle prep, like all of that stuff will be of the highest caliber pros on the planet. And I just won't have necessarily have the fishing experience that a lot of guys <laughs> that qualify well, you know, like I got everything made in a, I got tackle warehouse in my boat. I just yeah. need to learn how to use some of it just a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, but I'll say this too. Like I have baits and stuff at the house that, and I have hundreds of, of maybe something specific. Um, mm. that I've never used and it's sat here for five years and I, but I don't, I don't get the itch to use it because like when I purchase these tools of the trade, like I know what they're mm. for and like, mm. I don't really dive into something that I'm like, Oh, I can't wait to do this. Like, no, I, I only, what I, I've never bought one of anything. Um, <laughs> like I, I haven't, I mean, like, Okay, hold on. Give me a second here. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. While he's going to get that, I'll tell you, I'm not a gearhead. I'm not a tackle junkie. Like, okay. I, I will try new shit, but I'm not buying. When I try something new, I buy one. Either I catch fish on it or I lose it. That's how I so, roll. So here's the deal. is like I keep – so say we're talking about just Maxent flatworms. I keep one of these, okay, in the boat at all times. Yeah. In the truck, I have one of these, okay, of all flatworms, right? So this is the the truck box. Are they different colors or are they one or two colors? There's probably six colors in there. Okay. Um, But, and then in the truck, I have all of the backups to keep this, which is in the boat full. Okay. Then I have another one that is house overstock to keep. (laughs) So when stuff, when I'm at a tournament, so so like I've, and this is just flatworms. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then you go to the tubes um, and then you go to a 10 inch worm, which I use a different brand of. And then, you know, like, uh, then I do the same thing with X-Zone Hotshot Minnows. Um, th- so, like, uh, I have what I like, and, like, I've been building these systems. Um, and, and, like, when I travel, there isn't an inch of space in the truck or in the bed of the truck or anywhere. Like, there isn't yeah. an inch of space in the boat. There's not an inch of space in the house. I mean, I own 95 fishing rods for bass. Like, I... <laughs> There are rods I have. God there are rods I have seven or eight of. Um, that exact combo I might have seven or eight of in yeah. some cases, and like so. I, I, again, no ring for a reason, but I I I prepped all of this stuff to be absolutely um ready for the highest level and and that's how i run my shit and and there are a lot of kids coming out of college who have all of this tournament experience they fish 30 tournaments a year 50 with mlf or 15 with mlf and 15 with bass and they're all over the country all the time but they don't know a lick about running a business and they don't Mm -hmm. they're they don't have the money or they haven't built up the financial aspects or the, the maturity, the responsibility, the 
how to run a lo- your life at all of these things I will be ready for. They are a little better tournament anglers than me. Um, so like, that's where we differ. Like I have a ton of experience traveling, being on the road, always being prepared. I never worry about like boat maintenance, trailer maintenance, truck maintenance. I take Uh care of all of that stuff as if I was the highest level professional. Like, you know, all of that stuff for me falls into place. Every time I turn the key, the boat freaking starts there. And I never Uh have stuff break on me on the water. Like I break it all myself in the driveway, taking it apart and putting it back together all the time. Because I mean, dude, I've taken every screw out of that Phoenix. I swear to God, every single thing has come up, come off and put, been put back on because I need to know how it all works and I need to know how to replace things. And, and I do it all before it breaks. And, and I do that all the time. I mean, my Tundra has never broken down and has 225,000 miles on it. I've never broken down Oof. once. That's um, something to say about maintenance. It's also something to say mm-hmm. about the Tundra. It, it is. But, like, you know, a lot of it is just, you know, I, I, I've had the fan belt changed. The spark plugs replaced. Like, I do stuff. At, at the right times before things uh-huh. break. And so, but like, imagine being a 25 year old kid, if nobody's taught you about, you know, wheel bearings on your stinking trailer, like you can just be going down the road one day. And then all of a sudden you get a speed wobble out of one of the tires and it blows up and you're like, Oh, I blew my tire. And you really don't know. It's because you blew the bearings out 50 miles ago and they got <laughs> so stinking hot that all of a sudden it just started wobbling like crazy when it all heated up. And, and now you're like, I don't even know how I'm going to get to the tournament. Like, I don't mm-hmm. have that kind of stuff. So, like, you know, I never have to worry about those kind of stresses when I'm on the road. I just got to find fish and catch them. And and that's why I've tried to build up my business the way that I build it. And um, so all I have to do is worry about fishing. Like, fishing may come a little easier to, to uh, a Logan Parks or a Jake Maddox or a Cole Sands or some of the other guys who are in their mid twenties who are crushing it at the opens. But, uh, you know, like when I can fish more than three major tournaments in a season, I'm going to be a huge force to be reckoned with because I have nothing else to worry about other than fishing. Like I never have an unexpected thing ruin my season. Um, because it, it only takes something this big to ruin your chances at qualifying Uh for the elites. And I have a lot less chance of having one of those major mechanical malfunctions keep me out of that one year that I am kicking ass. Like I have prepped a lot of other things and taken a lot of other things into an account that a lot of those guys just haven't progressed to understanding how to manage and uh yeah like i don't know i just i enjoy the process of being up north and you know I, it allows me to take the time to to learn and perfect keeping a lot of those things in check whereas those guys are just fishing 150 or 200 days a year i don't get that many days in it i don't get nearly the percentage of days on the water yeah. that they do but I'm crushing it in a lot of other areas. <laughs> so there's there's three things, three points that I'll make. The first yeah. one is you you hear a lot here the last couple of years about the northern the northern anglers dominating the trails. And why is yeah. that? 
when you hear a lot of them say, well, it's because the fisheries we have have a wide array of, we have grass lakes, we have structure lakes, you know, yep. we've got, we've got all these different types of lakes up here that we can fish and we learn how to fish. It's just not grass, just not structure, just not natural lakes. Yep. The other thing about that is, is you mentioned earlier about time on the water and how everybody says time on the water, make you a better angler. Well, time on the water doesn't help you with what you just talked about the last five minutes with tackle prep and with yeah. understanding your equipment and your boat and how to keep your ship maintained. Like those are things that are that you still get those time on the water. Stop stockpiling the lures. Time yes. on the water. So your boat, your boat sounds weird. I need to get this checked out. Or mm -hmm. it's you know, time for an oil change and this shit. So there's that part of it, too, where it's not just time on the water. Everybody says time on the water. There's a lot of things that time on the water help you prepare on that have nothing to do with fishing. Well, so here's the other thing, that too. Built in. And here's the other thing, too, is we talked earlier about these advances in technology, right? How they are helping anglers get better faster. Well, the other thing that has come with technology increases in our day and age is the sharing of knowledge, right? Um, being able to do a lot of research. Well, I have no yeah, oh. choice for five months of the year mm -hmm. than to stare at computer <laughs> screens, whether it be mm -hmm. map study, whether it be reading about or watching um, YouTube or whatever platform you're looking for information on. But I have no choice other than to learn about the places that I can't be at right now because I am snowed in. I could not tow my boat out of Pennsylvania probably three months out of the year. There's probably 75 or 90 days where I couldn't even really leave if I wanted to. Um, like it just like towing out of Montrose, just the 15 miles to 81 or to interstate 81 are kind of scary. And uh, I mean, like, <laughs> like you'd have to choose the day of the week you were leaving. You uh -huh. couldn't be like, I have to leave on this day. You're like, you're like watching the 10 day forecast going, okay, it's going to be sunny three days in a row. It's not going to snow. Hopefully uh, if I leave at two in the afternoon, the warmest time of the day, like I should be able to go down this hill on that day safely. Like, like, I don't know if Gussie and the Johnstons do it. They leave, like, in January from Canada. I'm like, you guys are crazy. Like, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> but, like, you know, like I, time on the just, water. Joe, yeah. time on the water. Well, I'm just saying, like, it allows no, me. It, yeah, yeah a, I guess. It's a joke. It's a joke. Time yeah, on the water. Right. I, can I can drive down to Florida in January from Canada. Yeah, I just, I guess to get it, but like, what well, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is like, I'm stuck doing research, you know, I'm stuck here. Mm -hmm. So like now with, with us being able to share information so well, I can learn about Sharon Harris from the comfort of Montrose, Pennsylvania, all January before I get there in April, you know? Yeah. And, and, and not only that, now you're not looking at a paper map, you're looking at maps contour maps that are as good as they have ever been mm -hmm. and so you can come down here and spend two days practicing on a lake like sharon harris or jordan 
and you can already have all the places that you know the fish should be and you spend your and this is another time time on the water ain't just fishing mm-hmm. you hear you hear a lot of these pro anglers talk about how much time they spend just graph just riding around graphing mm-hmm. marking everything they're not even fishing they're burning fuel mm-hmm. riding around looking at areas looking for fish and they're they break it down to where they have they break the lake down, not in the thirds. And everybody talks about breaking the lake down in the third. I think that's a weekend thing. Or if you're going to fish a, a quick little tournament on, on, you know, BFL or whatever that you never be in, but they're breaking the lake down, not in the thirds, but into to sixteenths and 30 seconds. Like they have places that they can go to and they're yeah. able to go practice and take two days and, and fish a little bit, but really scan and find those areas where the fish are supposed to be, but they're not here. Oh, wait, they're the next point over. So the time on the water isn't just about fishing. It's everything. Mm-hmm. I think this is, the last little part of this conversation has encompassed that of what you've been saying. It's the tackle mm-hmm. prep. It's, yep. it's, building up, it's building up that tackle storage. Not, mm-hmm. not, having, not going to a tournament and having one pack of flatworms and I don't know, fucking Tennessee shad or whatever, and you run out, you know, I'm like, well, shit, I got to go find more of those. Well, hell, we know this. You ain't finding no flatworms hardly nowhere. Now, you come yep. down to North Carolina, I got flatworms for days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we do. You you need it. We got it. I can get you flatworms down here. But just in general, it's the tackle storage. It's, it's, the, it, it's having your boat and all your shit together. Yep. It's knowing the lake. It's... it's scanning the lake and finding the areas the fishing part really doesn't happen until tournament day and and you know and and i think more than ever now we're seeing this surgence of anglers that are very well rounded right so you're seeing justin lucas jacob wheeler brandon polinick there's no longer the paul elias neil and real larry fritz freaking or Larry Nixon, David Fritz, like guys that are Denny Brower, who specifically was like a pitcher. Yep. You're never, you're not seeing those guys who do that one thing. So good. You're not seeing them dominate anymore. We're seeing tournaments that, yeah, they're competitive in tournaments that fit their specialty. And the other times they struggle. And we saw it, like we saw Polinick, who we all think is like this it, it, before his win on Santee Cooper. We really looked at Brandon as being the smallmouth frickin' whisperer, right? Brandon, like his worst finish ever on the St. Lawrence River was this year. He got 25th. That was his worst <laughs> finish ever on the Thousand Islands, right? So we think of him as like this smallmouth, like whisperer right and and he caught most of his fish flipping and pitching with a 711 extra heavy on 50 or 65 pound braid in that santi cooper tournament the year he came back to the elites and that's the kind of angler we're seeing kick ass now justin lucas mm-hmm. won a couple tournaments like two years ago and he won them doing completely different things one was a smallmouth derby um in like 
Ohio. I think it might have been Lake Erie, and another was somewhere else. Like we're seeing these all around anglers, wheelers winning in all kinds of different places, Optifoes mm. winning in all, all kinds of different places. We're seeing all around anglers winning yeah. nowadays, yeah. and they're, they're the ones who are setting themselves apart. Um, and I think that's what the North has to offer. It has to off it. Ha- it offers it forces us as anglers to become very well-rounded at all aspects of fishing, not just being in the boat, making decisions in real time. We have to get good at the prep and everything else. And, and that's why we're seeing this, this push amongst, you know, Northern anglers become very successful very quickly. The Austin Felixes, Caleb Coupals, yeah. stuff like that. Let's don't forget our buddy Bailey Eibrit, who's been tearing a Hobie up. And most of his good tournaments came down in the South. But don't forget the other catalyst of why Northern anglers are becoming so good is that they have four to six months out of the year to start a podcast and invite all these other anglers on and talk to them and get information and tips and tricks. And they just give it up freely because they're on a podcast. And so when they come down South, like, how did you beat me? Well, you told me about this lure in this area and all this like a year and a half ago on my podcast. <laughs> yeah. And then, or you just have assholes like me who sit and watch every one of them. And then they're like, I heard Bailey asked that dude. This. And I was like, I'm going to do that when I go there. For years. I know. Let, it, you know. Let me take out my phone and make a note. Lake yep. Okeechobee. On yeah. this this area in Jan, you know what? I got a tournament there in January next year. I'm doing this. Yeah. How did you win? How did you know what to do? Well, listen to Serious Angler, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, but it is. But it goes back to what you said. It, not not picking fun anymore. It goes back to what you said about the information age. Information mm-hmm. is is readily available at a few keystrokes. You can go yep. down there and you can join a message board or a Facebook group at a lake in Georgia or Florida that you're going to fish a tournament on, and you can search and you yep. can find what people did there last year. You YouTube. YouTube is was one of the greatest catalysts of fishing ever because it doesn't take a genius to watch somebody even in a kayak. You're going to fish, let's say Jordan, you're going to fish Jordan in a tournament and you go and you find some YouTube videos of somebody fishing Jordan and they show a ramp in the background or they say what creek they're fishing in. Oh shit. I mean, that's it. And you can, you can, a good angler, a great angler can really dial it in from there. I mean, the information age has changed everything, but fishing for sure makes people what we said you said earlier efficiency you can go break down a body of water if you have two days the mlf is a a great example of this they have a very limited time practice time that they can go break down a body of water and those guys and those both that is nothing Mm -hmm. but they go you know the top 10 percent of those the high level anglers tournament the tournament but they they break down that body of water like that. It's fucking amazing, man. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how quickly those top anglers 
can break down a body of water they've never been to, or they've been to yep. once, or they've been to twice. And in in just in general, maybe they've been to it twenty times, but still they can break down water so efficiently. The information age plays a lot into it. Your prep plays a lot into it. Time on the water, being able to find these little nuances is what makes the greats great. But also just being able to to gather information, put that shit together, and go out there and get it done. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> we uh, we live in a cool time. We definitely do. It is. It is. All right, man. Well, look, let's get this wrapped up. We're only 45 minutes over the allotted time frame <laughs> that I gave ourselves. This isn't bad for us. No, it's not. It is, Bo. It is not. We, You and I could go on forever. I had a guest co-host that was going to come on, Addison Johnson, and he had a work thing come up. Me and him have been trying to get on podcasts together on Bass and Bruce for like uh, eight months now, and it shit ain't happened. The podcast guys do not want it to happen because of how awesome we are. But anyway, yeah, we could go on forever. What we're going to do, we're going to wrap this up now. I think this is a good stopping point. We covered a, a, a fuck ton of topics. Yeah. But, um, you know, we, we I really want to talk about the outer realm. Y'all go check that out. The production's wonderful. The story's wonderful. Something that you can follow, and you can you can feel like you're there fishing. And you know, we talked about fall fishing. That was the biggest thing. I know we geared a lot of that towards the smallmouth fishing, but I was intrigued by that because since I started this, and since I met a lot more folks that fished northern waters, like the fish y'all catch, the number. It's not just the poundage, as you said before, but the number of three to five pounders that you're catching is fucking unbelievable. Like if you would have told me 20 years ago that that's the kind of fishing you could get up north, I'd tell you you're full of shit. But y'all been doing yeah. that a long time. But the small the, or the, the fall fishing here really geared towards the smallmouth because that's where Joe is. He's good at that. If you follow his stuff, you you can see. But we have a lot of northern anglers. I mean, Alex is from New Jersey, even though that's uh, not the north, apparently. It's the fucking, I don't even know what the fuck they call it. But anyway, we do have a lot, and it's, it's good information. I'd love to get up there. And the people down here going up there this time of year, taking a guiding trip, Captain Andrew is a guide, check him out. Going up there and being able to fish with these smallies, it is unbelievable if you follow enough people on social media to see what you see. So, Joe, Plug your plugs that you that you got here. And uh, yeah. for the folks that are first-time listeners, tell us where they can find you on all the social medias. Don't leave, leave out Tiki Tack, which is the best social media right now besides the it's, YouTube. It Fuck um, Instagram. But anyway, shout-out shout out your shout-outs, Hoss. Yeah, Instagram and Facebook are at Joe LaBarber Fishing. Uh, TikTok is the outer realm. It's the.outer.realm. And uh, my YouTube channel is The Outer Realm with Joe LaBarbera. Um, so, yeah, ch check me out on any of those platforms. TikTok's fun as hell. Um, I would rather be on there than on Instagram, but Instagram is my largest uh, social media following at the moment. I started TikTok like a month and a half ago. I actually started posting reels. Um, I love TikTok. It's so much better, so much more fun. Clint and I have way more fun making TikToks than anything. 
Um, the other way to see a lot of like uh, content on the gear and stuff, and I am suit like I said, super passionate about gear, is if you follow Lakeside Outfitters Instagram page, we um, we create a lot of this is the best for this thing type of gear. So if you're looking for a reel, like a, a casting reel or a spinning reel or a casting rod mm. or a bait or a soft plastic or a crankbait or a you can see that type of information on Lakeside Outfitters. They're a tackle store in upstate New York um, that um, really help keep me on the road and keep me doing my thing. I, myself, and the owner, Scott, and some of Scott's employees like Josh and Sean, and um, we, are, we create a lot of content that is less than a minute long where we're like, hmm hey, this is the best bang for your buck to do this thing, or that is the best for doing this specific act in fishing. So you can catch a lot of that content on their Instagram page. It's a lot different than the content that I produce on mine. All of that content, though, you can see on my TikTok too, though. So Lakeside doesn't have a TikTok. So I put a lot of that stuff on my TikTok too, so that I can put TikTok out like every day. Um, and there is like a collection of all types of different type of content there. So um, that's pretty cool. Um, the Outer Realm will have a really cool A-Rig video coming out. We shot it two weeks ago. Clint and I just haven't really... Uh, put together the storyboard for it yet. We've been doing a lot of other things like making TikToks and um, <laughs> making stuff for Instagram. But Fucking uh, take your But it's it's done. And it was awesome because it was a multi-species effort on the A-Rig, um, which is really cool. It's not just the largest smallmouth bass I've ever caught on Oneida. It is also a bunch of walleye <laughs> and... Uh, it was really neat. We, we really found those fish biting on, they were eating the crap out of shad. We found them. It was a little bit of a struggle. Like the first couple spots we went to weren't really firing. And then all of a sudden we found the mother load and we leaned on them so freaking hard. And it was, it's going to make another really awesome 15 minute video. Like the smallmouth story is, but in the meantime too, we'll probably put out more four and five minute, just really cool videos as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean like content creation in the next from today or from yesterday until probably February 1st will be really, really insane coming out on all of those social media platforms I just talked about. So, um, it nice. should help get people through those cold months pretty well. Nice. And don't forget alpha angler rods. We talked yeah. about this on a podcast before. I bought their cranking stick and uh, we, we went into, we went into how, how they make their stuff. I think it was the second episode that you did. Yeah. I don't remember where the fuck it was. If y'all want to go find it, just go search Joe. As I used to call him in at least the first two episodes before I learned it was different. Joe La Barbera. Yeah. <laughs> and he never corrected me, but anyway, Why? go look for that. Cause we talk about alpha angler rods, how they're made and what they're doing there. And it's, it's really neat. I, I got the crank and stick. I'm hopefully going to invest in a couple more here early next year. Uh, but Joe, don't forget them. Well, yeah. So I run social media for them and I, I manage the pro staff for them as well. And 
I mean, Brandon won AOI on the Bassmasters, and and he's an alpha angler. Um, Sookup for a while was John Sookup Fishing, who, who is the owner of the Bass Tank. He's one of our sponsored pro anglers as well. Um, John, I think, is sitting in second behind Keith Poche with two events left mm. in the Opens, uh, Lake Hartwell and Lake Sam Rayburn down in Texas. Um, so we may be able to win AOI in both the Bassmaster Elite Series and the Bassmaster Opens. I, we we all nice. we love John, and we have the most faith that he's going to get it done as well. Um, but uh, yeah, Alpha—they were my first ever sponsor. Um, I I for a long time designed the rod that was our number one seller, um, and I've designed a bunch of others. But the tools that we make in the Alpha Angler lineup really are tailored to trying to get the most bang for your buck. We're a direct to consumer company. You can only order mm -hmm. on the Alpha Angler website. Um, and I don't use just Alpha Angler rods, like, and neither does Brandon. Like when Brandon throws a nine inch glide bait, Alpha doesn't make a nine inch glide bait rod. So we both have a different rod that we use. Um, when I'm throwing a really, really heavy A-rig like deeper, like 10 feet or more. Um, I don't throw it on, on an alpha angler rod because we don't make a rod that can handle that. Um, so Brandon uses the Roman made mother rod when he throws a Roman made mother. I use a, a Levante Leviathan or a, a, I use a Leviathan rods Omega or I use the Megabass Levante Leviathan. Like we do mix it up because Alpha Angler makes a very specific lineup of tools that I guarantee is the best rod you ever grab to do that thing. But we don't make every tool. We only make like 15 or 16 rods or something. So if we don't dabble in things we're not great at, but what we are, uh -huh. what we do make, we make the, in my opinion, the absolute best of Gary Loomis, G Loomis. His son makes 80% of our blanks. Brad makes 80% of the rod blanks that we use. Um, and, and you know, if, if you're a G. Loomis fan and don't like spending $600, like come over to the dark side and join the Alpha Army. Uh, we can get a rod for <laughs> that. And uh, it won't be as shiny and pretty, but it's going to work just as good or better. And, and, and that's what we strive to do is, we take the retailer out um, and we try to make it so every dollar that you spend helps you be a better angler. And, and that's what Jake Boomer has, uh, has, has really truly lived by. We've had some really the best retailers in the country um, that probably four of the top five have approached us and tried to get our rods into their stores and we're not he's not gonna budge and i'm like dang it i really want to get him in lakeside <laughs> but he, won't, he won't budge i mean yeah. because it would it would change the business model completely and thus we wouldn't be able to offer the same quality product at the same price to, yeah, to all of you so if you uh if if you're like I was and you are trying to get the most bang for your buck and you like to spend a lot of money on a lot of different things, not just one specific rod, um, this is, this might be for you. And, and I promise you they're the most balanced, most sensitive rods you'll, you'll ever grab. I, I really truly mean that. And you know, they, they gave me my start. It's not, and it's, I don't, they didn't, I didn't join them 
because it was the first business opportunity I, I was presented because it wasn't. Um, I joined them because it was the best business opportunity I, I could have possibly made. That's the best tools I could use, you know, the best paintbrushes I could buy to be an artist. So mm. do it. Trust me. <laughs> like, trust. And like, I will just say, I know, a, I know a, a, a kayak angler that we've referenced many times in this podcast today that, you know, used a rod of ours to win a very big Hobie BOS this year down on Lake Eufaula. So, yeah. um, and he, he loves spinach sandwiches. Whatever yeah. the fuck that yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> what is he, Popeye? Like, <laughs> well, like, I mean, he's he, he's the reverse Popeye. Instead of the forearms, he's got the thighs. He does. That darn lacrosse player, man. <laughs> like, cheapers, cats. Yeah, it's because he's a pedal stuff. pirate. You pedal pirates have the ability to build up a big uh, lower body. Look, bitch, I have gained more weight <laughs> since I got a pedal kayak than I did any year before I ever got into a fucking kayak. And I pedal my ass off. Like, when I go to a tournament, so far, none of the folks around here locally have motors that can beat me. It's coming. But I, <laughs> I, I, I ain't going to be the first at the tournament, but I'm going to be the first to the, any spot we're racing to. I can guarantee you that shit. People try to keep up with me. And about half a mile in to three quarters of a mile in, they done. I'm four and a half to 4.6 miles per hour. I'm good for three miles. That's kicking. <laughs> <laughs> Look. I'm going to do 73 till I run out of gas, bro. You know like. what? You, you know what? You got more money than I do. But here's the other thing is. I, there are some days where I have two hours to go fish. I love my kayak. That's what I do. That's, that is the vessel that allows me to get out and to, to compete fishing. But there are days where I have two hours of fish and I go to Jordan or Sharon Harris and I'm like, I can't go fish where I know the fish are because by the time I get out there, I got 10 minutes of fish. I got to pedal my, my fat ass all the way back to the ramp to load up and go. Yeah. But anyway, it's a good time. Look, I'll tell y'all this. Uh, Joe and I were connected from Bailey on Sears Angler a while ago. Whenever the hell the first podcast was, I reached out to him. And ever since then, he's he's been awesome. He's been a great source of information. I have questions. I throw them to him. He answer them. Y'all reach out to Joe on the social medias that he, he said. He will get back to you. He is very helpful. He's one of the greatest teachers and instructors that that you will find. He explains stuff very eloquently and in ways that you can understand. So y'all reach out to Joe, flood his DMs with booby pics and fishing <laughs> questions, and I can promise you he'll get back to you. <laughs> no, I got no ring, ladies. There we go. There we go. Honestly, All right, man. Like, anything anything else you got before we close this out, house? No, no. Yeah, just you're you're uh, you aren't blowing smoke. Like, if anybody has any questions, hit me up. Mm. You know what? Hit me up on my YouTube in the comment section because I need yeah. that algorithm to tick a little. There we go. A bit more. <laughs> there we go. Help a brother. But out. thanks, Paul. I appreciate you and Alex. Uh, creating such an awesome platform buddy 
Well, thank you. That means a lot. You know, we've had a lot of people that have been on the podcast that we're, we're grateful for everybody that comes on. And uh, you said a little bit, er, you said it, uh, I think when we first started and we hear this a lot is that folks feel like they can come on this podcast and be themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they can, they can cuss, they can, they can open up. They don't, there's nothing that, there's no persona that they have to uh, perpetuate that mm-hmm. isn't them. And we, when, when I came on, Alex and I it took us, it took us a few episodes to realize that platform that, that we gave folks. And we're, we're happy to give that y'all. We have folks that have been on this podcast. I'm here doing this right now while Alex is gone because I reached out to him and said, Hey man, I would like to be on your podcast. And we've had folks that have been on this podcast who reached out through the social medias and said, I want to be on your podcast. And we, 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 there's nobody too small in the social media world that we won't have on. So if you want to be on shoot Alex Bass and Bruce, me shoot me right now and Bass and Bruce, it might take me a while to get back to you. But shoot us if you want to come on the podcast. We love to have interesting people come on. Doesn't matter your followers, your subscribers, none of that shit. We want to have fun, interesting people to come on to talk shit, talk fishing, and pretend we're sitting around a campfire drinking a beverage and having a good time. Look at here. This is Bass and Brews Podcast. Y'all go check out Hookset Hoodlums. I'm pretty sure their fall line has dropped. Uh, if, if not, it's coming. The winter line is probably coming too. Great apparel. Check them out. This is Bass and Bruce. Thanks for listening. If you stayed this long, go follow Joe LaBarbera. I'm the Jabba Hammer. Hell. Peace.